Welcome to Oz Rock Rated, the podcast that takes Australian rock bands' catalogues and ranks them in order, worst to best, according to us. I'm Ben, and with me is Sam. G'day, everybody. This is Oz Rock Rated. Welcome back to Oz Rock Rated for episode two. My name's Ben, and with me is Sam. Hello, Sam. Hello, Ben. Did you ride your bike over here today? I did not. I got a new motorcycle. I call him Nighthawk, mm. uh, as you do with every all, motorbike rider. It's all very funny, isn't it? <laughs> until I look, until I'm the coolest man in the neighbourhood, and then we'll see who's laughing. Uh, yeah, when you rock up here in your Ninja with your Ninja and your Casey Stoner branded full leathers. <laughs> <sighs> Anywho, let's get to today's band, and of course, I think we hinted at it last week, but um. Well, we outright told you. Well, we did. <laughs> it was more than a hint. It was a very strong hint. But what what can be said about this band that hasn't been said by me in pubs at one a.m.? Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. They're often <laughs> mentioned, aren't they? When you've been on the gas all day. Oh well, are they Australia's favourite band? Whoa, That's I'm going to say they are. Yeah, I think they'd have to be. Well, if it, they'd have to be, and we're talking about Cold Chisel, of course. Even if you just if you just took K San. K-San's probably Australia's favourite song, isn't it? Well, close to. I think Paul Kelly's um, How oh, to Make Gravy yeah. snuck up lately. Jeez, but hasn't it? But, yeah. Oh, and, and Daryl Braithwaite's Horse has had a good run there for a while. But I think K-San is, the, um, is the, the, the gold standard as far as drunk sing-alongs go. Yeah, and requested songs at pubs. Yeah. For DJs and bands alike, can you do K-San? Well, you got K-San there, mate? <laughs> we will get to that when we talk about the albums, but you're right, it is very often requested. Do you mind playing it when you're, when you're playing in pubs? In bands, and we should say that uh, Ben and myself are both in bands and been in bands for years and years and years, and uh, I, don't, I actually don't mind playing it now. I used to always resent it a little. Did but, you? Um, I've, never once, I've never once thought, oh, I don't want to play this. I uh, relish in it. I well, love it. Well, see, I've been in a band that plays Bow River, and flame trees as well, mm. and um, Bow River gets up there tempo-wise for the drummers. That's that's my only problem is you got to call it, you know, somewhere in the middle of the first set. Well, <laughs> ne- next time you see me playing at the casino, <laughs> actually tomorrow, Arvo, if you if you're in Perth tomorrow, Arvo, come down to the Pearl Room. You need to be a high roller to get in there. But <laughs> if you can get in, come and come and see me and ask me to play K-San and I'll do it. Can you All sing right. it? Yeah. Right. That's the only one I can sing. Yeah, mm. very good. Yeah. I do. I used to do merry-go-round as well, and I drop it down a few a few steps. Yeah. Oh, and I've done flame trees down a few steps. The, the Troy Casadaly version oh, of that. Yeah. Anyway, we're getting in the weeds here. We've got yeah, to get started. Sorry, oh, let's we're get just started. Gonna, <laughs> it's like we're at the pub at one a.m. <laughs> with a few cans of rum under our belts. It's not even. It's ten a.m. Ten a.m. Mm. on a Saturday here. So. Uh, all right, so let's go. Cold Chisel uh, formed in 1970-something or other. 1973, I think, was when they first got together and pretty much uh, just played the... They, they were on the covers circuit, basically, in Adelaide. Without getting, You can read all about them. I've read every book and watched every doco I can possibly find on them. But yeah, and all the comings and goings and Barnsley going and joining... What, he joined fraternity and then his brother stepping in and all sorts of stuff like that happened in the early days, didn't it? Yeah, and then and Don Walker went went back to uh, up north where he's well, up around Grafton somewhere um, to go back to uni to do his master's degree in quantum physics or something like that and they uh, had a bit of a hiatus. And mm. Anyway, long story short, 73 through to 83, a 10-year run 
uh, with very much, apart from a couple of little hiccups here and there, um, they had the same lineup, the same five fellas, Jimmy Barnes, Ian Moss, Don Walker, Phil Small and Steve Prestwich. That's your classic lineup, isn't it? Yeah, and uh, nine albums over. Uh, sorry, over the over the ten years, there was only five albums, and then uh, they reformed in in the, I think the late nineties and put out a couple of albums. But let's get to them, shall we? So at number nine, what have you got? You go first. Okay. So my least favourite Cold Chisel album at number nine is The Perfect Crime, hmm. which is one of the newer ones. 2015, The Perfect yes. Crime. That was the, not the comeback album. No, the comeback album, I believe, was No Plans. No, The Last Wave of Summer was... Oh, 90, Last Wave yeah, of Summer. 98. Sorry. So then, then No Plans, then The Perfect Crime. So it's mid-comeback era, I suppose you'd call it. What, what makes you put this one last? Oh, there's just not many good songs on it. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good enough reason. I like uh, All Hell Broke Lucy, I think, is probably my, uh, my standout track of that album. But yeah, I don't know. They just kind of just seem like they just chucked it together and... I believe it's a Kevin Shirley production there in uh, probably in Sydney, I'd say, or it was recorded at Barnsley's home studio or somewhere, and it kind of just sounds like that. And uh, yeah, and it was uh, what else? Oh, yeah, so the first one to not feature anything from St- Steve Presswich, so I think that might be uh, why I've got it right down there as well. That's a big one, isn't it? Mm. Me and you were playing a, a gig up. Somewhere in Ellenbrook or somewhere when we found out that Steve Presswich had died. What year was it? Yeah, I remember. It was the first. It was your first stint here in Perth. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we were coming home. No, no. We was halfway through the gig. I remember it oh. distinctly. And we had a couple of mates over from over that's, east. Yeah, I remember them. And I, I checked my <laughs> I remember phone. the car ride home. Yeah. That's why. Because a couple of mates had had a couple. He died in 2011. There you go. Yeah, it was you go. over 10 years ago. So this, yeah, you're right. Uh, the perfect no plans had a had a had uh, contributions from Steve, but this was the first one. Sans Steve Prestwich, mm. uh, yeah, and I agree. Oh, there you go. I've got this one last. Um, mainly, yeah, like you say, it's just it, it's got it's still got great. I think uh, really good Don Walker lyrics in it. There's there's references to King's Cross, of course. A few other Australian references and also a Chico Roll reference. Oh, There's a lyric, I think, in there, something about a, a lady on the beach with a Chico Roll under a blanket. Oh, yes, Seems yes, vaguely yes. sexual. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, uh, what, is that in... No, I think... the other. What's the other song? That Toast of Paris, I think I don't mind either, but... Uh, it's Don, Don Walker one, but... He wrote some of them with Barnsley's son-in-law, didn't he? I think so. Ben Rogers, ben that's Rogers, the guy. Yeah. Ben Rogers, who's married to one of Barnsley's daughters, I, th- I believe. So, uh, yeah. yeah, it's not know. great. The m- most of it's most of it's walking. I, I think, like you say, most of the other fellas had clocked out by this stage. <laughs> yeah, and there's no Barnes songs on this one. There's a couple of Mossy ones, I think. One, uh, Shoot the Moon, I think, is mainly Mossy. Yeah, there's and, a Where's Car uh, song on this. Here is how this. this is how desperate things had become. <laughs> there was a co-write with Where's Car for those international. Listeners, uh, welcome, first and foremost. And Wes Carr was a, an Australian Idol or X Factor or one of those shows, a, a, a reality uh, singing show star for about five minutes in Australia. Uh, yeah, all right. We're off yeah, to a good yeah, start yeah. Agri- in a grants. Yeah, uh, yes. Number eight, hit me. Number eight, I have Last Wave of Summer. Ooh, okay. Yeah. 
So let me just get up my notes from uh, Last Wave of Summer. So this was the comeback album released 14 years after Cold Chisel released their last studio album and uh, there was uh, a a lot of um, anticipation for this album. I remember um, being really excited for it to come out and it and uh i'm gonna i'll, I'll tell you now i've got it at seven so seven, we're so pretty close, close yeah close close and i think we're going to have all the comeback albums in the bottom half of our list just off, just um i don't know you might pull the sneaky on me but i'm pretty confident anyway yeah. uh this wasn't it wasn't too bad this has got a song on it i really like yakuza girls but yakuza girls was on breakfast at sweet house wasn't it no oh Sorry, I got mixed up. But yeah, I like Yakuza Girls. That was my I was gonna say that that was my one sort of saving grace on this album, but it's just a mess. <laughs> it is a bit messy. Uh it 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 I th- I think well we'll get into the history. When we get into our top into our um into our top three, I think we'll get dig down deeper into the weeds on the history of the band and the internal ructions and such that that yeah. that made uh the comeback a little difficult, well, shall we say? Because what I can gather from this is they said, "Okay, well, we're going to reform the band." Don, you you write all the songs, and Don kind of ambled in the studio with not much written and just kind of just belted out a few things in the studio, and they went, "Right, that's it," and clocked off. And Barnsley's probably pissed at this stage well, too. Well, this was at the height of Barnsley's uh, addiction problems as well. Mm. Um, the he he went through a very very rough period. He was he was always a a bit of a rebel rouser in the early days of Chisel, uh, vis-a-vis drugs, speed, all that sort of stuff. But around the late 90s, early 2000s, he had a big downfall uh, with cocaine and anything he could put in his body, which um, he now attributes to his his childhood. And if you've read his book, uh, Working Class Boy, which I highly recommend you do, you can kind of understand why he had oh, a, few, yeah. a few emotional <laughs> problems here and there. But um, yeah, yeah this, this was, was the height of it, wasn't it? Where um, yeah, yeah, I don't think he was in any kind of state. But the but the vocal vocal performance was actually not too bad. Like, there's worse Barnsey vocal performances, in my opinion. But, uh, I agree with that too. Yeah, I think so. Um, we're not going to talk about all the solo ventures because we could be here for five hours. But um, mm. I think this is a bit better than the later Barnsey uh, solo stuff. The more recent solo stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, vocally. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm at seven with that one. You're at eight. That's pretty That's pretty agreeable. Gee, yeah. we haven't, we're not going to argue at all, are we? Well, we're going to. Oh, okay. there's come, something coming up. Yeah, I think I, think I gonna, know what it is too. It's going to get uh, you. What about seven? Okay, number seven. <clears throat> so I'm the, lead, I'm the lead guy on this. Yeah, well, yeah. That's fair Why enough. Not? Well, at number seven, I got their debut album. <gasps> their very first album. What the fuck? Seven. It's not even in my top five. Are you fucking... You, <laughs> yeah. Have you gone bonkers? Well, in my estimation, there's two good songs on it. Two good songs on Cold Chisel 1978. Yep. K-San and Home and Broken Hearted. I have heard it all. <laughs> the production's all over the place. Don wasn't happy with it. I feel like just hanging up my <laughs> headphones and going home. <laughs> This is outrageous. <laughs> well, that's why there's two of us. Absolutely outrageous. And see, we didn't we didn't really have it in our first episode, and so it's uh, it's happened here. And um, all right, rather than rather than uh, kick this off, kick this rebuttal off with a with a, a tirade of abuse, I'm just going to play a song. Really 
Das Cuisine. You're telling me you don't like Das Cuisine? It's all right. Oh, Juliet, mm. one long day, northbound, Rosaline, just how many times? One long day is okay. Oh, you've gone crazy. Just uneven. It is very uneven. I'll agree with that. <laughs> but for sheer weight of, of, of great songs with great lyrics, it's, very, it's poorly produced, I'll, I'll give you that, and it's uneven stylistically. But... This has got some fantastic songs. I think the worst sounding song on this album is Home and Broken Hearted, to be honest. The bass is real uh, flubby. It's got the click track still in it. Yeah, I'm, it's I'm sure <laughs> of it. That doo, doo, doo. Like, and, but well, no, I don't is, think they would have had it. Yeah, but that's it. It's like surely it was before the days of having click tracks and for people not... That's uh, a modern thing nowadays. You record everything with a metronome so that everything's in time so you can edit it and everything. And so I don't think back in 1970, what, 77? 70. This album? 78, I think. 78. I don't think 1978 they were recording things with uh, click tracks, but I'm sure Home and Broken Hearted has got it in it. Uh, I don't know. I, I just always found it, it. It's got a really flubby bass in it, and it seems to be a little bit behind the the drums or something. But it, man, what a great song! I love that song. Great song. Well, that's one of the great songs on it. But yeah. that's kind of autobiographical. That song, Home and Broken Heart. It hiked up to Sydney in the week before Christmas. It, it's about Don's journey. Well, uh, if you okay, well, here's a quote from Don Walker. It was later to say he found it embarrassing, especially the flowery lyrics. Yeah, but you got to you got to remember that Don is arguably Australia's greatest songwriter. And he'd look back at this album and think, I mean, it, it is a little bit, uh, there's a few There's a few spots in here where he's kind of trying to be a bit Dylan-ish, I think. Mm. Uh, like Daz Kazine, for instance, is kind of a story about a, a guy, I, I don't know, uh, I mean, a girl, but which was very Dylan-esque. But I don't think it's flowery. I think he just thought, oh, man, I've written such better stuff than this. And I think any songwriter will tell you their first... Their first attempts were a little bit cringeworthy, but I love this album. I don't know what you're talking about here. So where have you got it? Well, l- let's talk more about it when we get to my position yeah, of, of uh, the self-titled Cold Chisel. Uh, I've got, I should say, what was your, that was your number seven. Yeah. Well, I had I had Blood Moon at number eight. Oh, okay. Um, I should put my. Did I say, did I already say that? No, you didn't say your number eight. We're all over the shop. Here, so <laughs> Blood Moon at well, number eight. Well, we're obviously, we're just glossing over these bottom halves. Well, until you pulled that surprise on me, we were going to gloss over them. <laughs> well, but, you did it last week with ACDC's yeah, debut, yeah. But debut album. I and, did too. Oh, so, well. anyway, Blood Moon. I think that this is the latest album, 2019, and it's got a song on there called "Getting the Band Back Together," which is one of the worst songs I've ever heard in my life. I think Don should be more embarrassed about these songs, to be honest. I actually like that song. (laughs) (laughs) I like the other song on there called Drive, but I've got it down there too. Maybe I should have had this one at seven, but I got it at six. And we've also... Oh, okay. Well, that's a good segue into your number six. But I also think that Charlie Drayton's not the right drummer for Cold Chisel. But then again... Jeez. I know you love Charlie Drayton, and, and <laughs> oh. I like his work with the Divinals and such. But I, I don't think any. I, I think you could put Phil, Phil Rudd in Cold Chisel, and I wouldn't think he was right because to me, the That's sound of Cold true. Chisel is that crack of Steve's snare drum 
and his his toms and stuff like that. Yeah. Very, uh, uh, we'll get into the production. We'll get into that. Later we'll get on. into Charlie Drayton as well because, of course, I've got a. Oh, I know you love him, mate. He's prepared about Charlie. Uh, what was that? Your number six, Blood Moon? Yeah, number right. six. So well, my number should, six. Maybe uh, should we play a little bit off that one or not? Off, off Blood Moon? Hmm. I'd rather not, okay, but you well, can if you want. No, no. Do you want to? No. Should we play? Yeah, well, let's play Getting the Band Back yeah, Together. Yeah, put it on. <laughs> That'll do. Oh, I was just waiting for the next chord to come in. Just play that next chord. But that one. That'll do. What's not to like about that? Well, it's horrible. Mossy sings He's it. got himself a new pork pie hat and got himself a new jazz chord. But don't you know all those blokes? You know all those blokes. The blokes that own all the real expensive guitars. We played with a band like that the other day. Is this... Oh, is he, he's saying it's ironic. Yeah. Is it sarcastic? Uh, uh, the, He's, he, it's very specific about like um, he must have gone and watched some real bad covers band somewhere in Sydney and he's like, holy shit, that guy's got an $18,000 1972 Strat or something and so that's given him an idea. Oh, oh okay. In that case, I, I don't. But it's still horrible. <laughs> <laughs> I, like the, I like that Mossy's singing it and not Barnsley because yeah. I think Mossy's voice has matured yeah. much much better than Barnsley. We'll get into the individual members. Maybe a, that's what a, a it bit is later too. Because I just love listening to Mossy sing. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'll, I'll disagree vehemently so with, you with your choice. Uh, uh, Blood Moon, I had at eight. Eight. Yeah, your what was that? Your number six. Six. My number six. No plans. Wow. Um, now, I do like this album or parts of this album. I really like the title track. Um, no plans. Let's play a bit of that. to play it all the way to get to my favourite <laughs> bit. I love that bit. Oh, Barnsley. He's, uh, um, for those people not familiar with Cold Chisel, if you've made it this far, thank you, because it does get better later on. But Barnsley, Jimmy Barnes' voice is a, a, a great subject of conversation in Australia amongst all walks of life, all ages, um, about what happened to Barnsley. 
and um, he he went underwent singing lessons at some stage in the nineties, I think, early nineties maybe, or maybe late eighties even, um, because somebody told him that he he was going to destroy his voice, and what happened was uh, he ended up singing in a manner that sounds to me like he's destroying his voice even further. But we'll talk about him a bit later. But this song, I think, is his best vocal performance post-classic uh, era, Cold Chisel. Well, do we say where I had this <clears throat> album? No, we'll get to it. I just want to okay. point out a couple of... I, yeah, because then I'll get into it in my... Yeah, my, yeah. I, do, I do like this album, um, but I think the production is awful. That oh, song uh, that song in particular, it's Kevin Shirley, Kevin Caveman Shirley, who's an Australian producer, did guys like Silverchair and... South African. Yeah, but he lives in Australia. Oh, he lives in... Yeah, yeah he lives in Bond... Like, he pretty much his studio's on Bondi Beach. Yeah, he's minted. Uh, he's done a lot of big, <laughs> big bands, but I, I've I've got to say I've never liked any of his production, to be honest. And this one is no, um, yeah, well, the no first, exception. First Silverchair album, horrible in my opinion, sounding. Uh, the first three songs, yeah, everybody, all for you, and no, no plans. I really like them. Okay, all well, Don Walker classics, of course. Uh, HQ four fifty four Munro is where it starts to plummet, and that's a Troy Casadale Don Walker co-write. And I think it just gets worse and worse from there. But we'll talk about it more because you've obviously put it higher, and I thought you would. <laughs> <sighs> all right, number five, five. We're up to five already. Good. Yeah, well, good. we've got to get through them so we can yeah. get to the top three because there's going to yeah. be much, much discussion. Okay. Well, five. I've got breakfast at Sweethearts. Oh, me too. Have you? Yeah. Mm. Now, this is, I must say, uh, I've been, we've discussed it through the last week and a half or however, and I've mentioned on a few times how difficult I found this. I found this ranking of Cold Chisel, the top five albums in particular, the five classic era Cold Chisel albums I found really hard and I kept, I've got a very definite number one, but the other four I had to keep switching them. And I'd wake up at night and go, nah, I yeah. can't do that. Oh, I did the same thing. And anyone playing along at home, try it. It's actually very difficult. Try and come up with your list. Well, this album in particular, for me, was as high as number two at one stage. Oh. So yeah. that, that tells you, uh, that'll give you an indication of how much I love this band. That I couldn't, I, it went from two, I think then, then to four, then I put it back up to two, and then I scratched, I've got scratches all over the place on my little note plate <laughs> here. But what makes you put this at five? Uh, I don't know. I just, it's just, this doesn't grab me. Like there's Astrid, uh, you know, like Astrid's, uh, Goodbye Astrid's my favorite song. Oh, really? Off it. Yeah. Oh, That's yeah. my least favorite. Oh, really? Yeah. No, I love it. It's rocking. Oh, it's rocking. And, uh, but, don't, oh, don't, be, don't get me wrong. When I say that's my least favorite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it, like it's probably still favorite. in my top 50 <laughs> songs ever. Choosing your least favorite kid. Yeah. Um, my least favorite song. Is shipping steel? Oh no! It's. I was so afraid you were going to say that, <laughs> and you just fucking ruined me again. See, we were pretty close on ACDC last week, and I knew we were going to be a bit different with Cold Chisel because oh, th- what? this one, this is the kind of thing that divides nations, though, and this is what's great about this show. It's a fucking <laughs> trucky song, mate. Yeah, but it's a, just that ding, 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 ding. Yeah, and the like, Bo Diddley. The Bo Diddley thing's been done. And I don't down like, the open and road. Guess what else I don't like is Showtime. Ah, oh, no! Just meanders no. along, doesn't have any point to it. And of course, you know, I'm saying this about, they're great songs, don't get me wrong. Like, you put them up there in any sort of song, they're great songs. But we're talking about Cold Chisel here. 
Well, I can't believe now that I'm looking at the track list again. I'm feeling <laughs> sad because I put it, it at five. At five. Well, it's conversations. It opens with conversations, which is an absolute fucking ball terror. Good, good song. And no this doubt. just incidentally, this song they used to open with live. Did they? Yeah. Let's which hear is, a bit of it. Terrific stuff. I love that song so much, how it just builds and builds and builds. And then uh, towards the end, it just gets even even uh, more out, out of control, I suppose you would say. Now, the, this album, uh, 1979, this was album number two, and they were just starting to get big-ish, I suppose, around Sydney and Melbourne anyway. Um, and they were booked into Alberts to do this, Albert Studios in King Street in Sydney, they couldn't get into the good studio where the Angels and ACDC were in. They had to go to Studio 3. And Jimmy Barnes was particularly upset from all reports about this album and the production of it. And I, for one, agree. And ultimately is what it put it down from number two to number five for me. It was re- produced by Ri- Richard Batchins. Yeah. And apparently he was just grumpy all the time. Yeah. He didn't want to. He didn't want much to do with the band. He didn't really care. He was just there as a as a uh, like just a, another job, I think. Yeah. Um, so Barnsey said we went into the studio with him, and it was absolutely disastrous. We were in a shit room with his bad tempered C U N T. But don't quote me. Don't say he was bad tempered. <laughs> He also said breakfast at Sweetheart stunk, and you can spell that F-U-C-K-E-D. <laughs> I reckon breakfast at... Oh, is he talking about the album or the song? Because I quite like the song, Breakfast at Sweetheart. No, the, the whole album yeah, the he's whole talking album about. Because there, yeah. I, I think, bre- uh, of course, Breakfast at Sweethearts is always on their uh, greatest hits, compilations oh, and everything. Oh, come on, and it's, it's got a- some fantastic songs on it. Uh, I want to take, I take uh, exception to your uh, earlier comments about Showtime. That's one of my favourite Cold Chisel songs. It's a... Uh, a scathing really? attack on the Melbourne um, music critic scene. Well, 
there you go. I think this is where we differ is that you get into the poetry and everything and I think I get more into the, I don't know, the arrangement or the oh, yeah, I purpose. You know what I mean? So it's good. It's good that we're coming at these things from different things. Yeah. Or else what's the point of having this show with two bloody idiots sitting here agreeing with everything? Well, it's very different to... Rubbing each other's backs. There's no, 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 no. There's no other Cold Chisel song like it really. It's almost got a disco kind yeah, of... Yeah, well, um, maybe that's what it is. And I think you just playing conversation then anything cold chisel that's kind of that two four dun, 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 oh, dun, you're into that yeah i'm not into oh no that's what i was saying like conversations isn't one of my favorite songs at all and uh anything that's got that kind of thing or that or that you know that boogie woogie kind of thing but uh, what about Astrid? You, you just told me you loved Astrid. No, but Astrid Goodbye is just a straight up, you know, like a straight uh-huh. up rocker. It's like Let There Be Rock. It's that kind of thing. It's not a dun 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 dun. It's not a. Is that the, and two, that's why two, you don't four. like ship and steel. You, so you're racist. Uh, you <laughs> prejudiced, prejudiced against, against Yeah, you're a beat no, racist. Well, no, we'll see. Well, one of the things I really like about, and and probably one of the things you don't like about Cold Chisel is they kind of reggae influences well, I, I, breakfast at sweethearts might be might be my least favorite apart from astrid on this album really? i mean it's a, yeah. i love that song uh, do you the, think that actually is the actual place sweethearts should have been um heritage listed it's gone now yeah it's a mcdonald's yeah. now I think, um there's a Kings there's Cross. a terrific on youtube i can't i don't know where it is i should have bloody i should have queued it up but there's a really good interview with don walker about this song and how he used to go down to uh, sweethearts in King's Cross to get a cut sandwich. <laughs> That's right, a cut sandwich. That and that just tickles me <laughs> just right. I know. Uh, for those unfamiliar with Don Walker, we may as well start uh, yeah, breaking down the breaking indiv- down individual members. Don Walker, born in Ayr in Queensland, A-Y-R, in far north Queensland, up near Townsville, which is right in the middle of sugar country. Mm. Um, incidentally, Showtime has the lyric, uh, watching Townsville sugar sunsets. Which I think is one of the greatest evocative. Yeah, so you're into prose. Yeah, see that just just gets me right. But anyway, uh, he's from up there. Moved down to Grafton uh, when he was reasonably young, I think, uh, and spent most of his childhood there. And then uh, went on to be uh, to get his master's degree. I think it was quantum physics or quantum mechanics. I think it mechanics, was mechanics. Yeah. Needless to say, he's super smart. Um, and just started writing songs as a bit of a hobby, I suppose, and then hooked up with Cold Chisel and the rest is history. But, um, yeah, Don Walker, a long-time resident of King's Cross in Sydney, which is the red light district, or used to be. Anyway, it's quite fancy now. Mm. But back in the 70s and 80s was a, a pretty rough old spot to be, King's Cross, Darlinghurst, that area of Sydney. And Don's been a, uh, a, a firm resident for, ooh, I think, about 40 years now. But there's a lot of uh, references to that area in particular in his songs. And Breakfast at Sweetheart is definitely the most famous. But it has got that bit of a reggae beat about it, hasn't it? Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's what I like. That's one of the things I like about Steve Press, which is he borrowed a lot. I think uh, stylistically... So Steve, you're telling me you don't like the... You don't like the... Sorry to butt in, but you don't like the... Um, the shave and a haircut beat, but you like the fa- you like the white reggae. <laughs> Is that what you're trying to tell me about Steve Presswich here? And so I always thought he was very influenced by Charlie Watts out of the Stones. Oh, hundred percent. Well, he, he, I think he's very he's very much a Charlie guy rather than a Ringo guy because you're talking about like early seventies kind of late sixties drummers, especially Steve Presswich was born in Liverpool, I think. And, uh, he is a Liverpoolian. Yeah, and so um, 
yeah, for him to come out and be more of a Charlie disciple than a Ringo disciple, I think is quite curious to me. And uh, But I think when the police came out, I think that really rocked his world. And I reckon, um, well, they kind of came out the same sort of time. And we're talking about police, the uh, sting. Don't you ever, ever, <laughs> ever uh, yeah, mention the police and hear cold chisel in the same and breath. So the police again. and everyone were all getting influenced by Bob Marley and a lot of those bands. Oh and I reckon, I reckon, I reckon Steve Presswich was very influenced by that. Disagree. Well. Gross. That was a, that's the <laughs> grossest analogy I've ever heard in my life. You know what else I don't like about the song Breakfast at Sweethearts? The um, the toast is hot, and ah, oh, sorry, the coffee's hot and the toast is brown. <laughs> I like that lyric. That's the see. Well, there you go. You're into like sugar fields of Townsville, and I'm into to- toast. Yeah, brown toast. I mean, it's a it's a famous lyric, but I just think I think if if Don's going to be embarrassed about it, and he, I I would say he is. About he, he, that, I think he was embarrassed lyric, about yeah. this album as well, but he's embarrassed Anyway, about other, not, all other notable songs on this uh, album is Plaza. Don, uh, when he first moved to Sydney, lived in the Plaza Hotel, which is now gone as well, I think. Actually, Plaza's all right. I like that song too. Uh, yeah, and um, it, it's got some fantastic lyrics about the, the hookers that lived in there. And um, Is that the one Mossy sings that, doesn't he? Yeah. Plaza? Yeah. yeah. One, yeah of the, um, one of the few songs that Mossy sings, actually, that wasn't written or co-written by by Mossy. Ah, so yeah. yeah, it was just a vehicle for Mossy's voice. Yeah, there's a couple on here that I'm not 100% fond of. Like, I'm going to roll you, I'll agree with that yeah, uh, about yeah. your boogie-woogie. Stinker. Whatever, yeah, it's not a great song. And I don't think um, Dresden's particularly great either, but... Well, that's why that, you had it down at five as well. Yeah, but I did have it so high because it's got, it's like conversations, merry-go-round. Um, I love Astrid. I shouldn't say that it's my least favourite because um, that lyric in that um, uh, uh, your days of Valium and Xanax talking to the cat and the dog <laughs> that, that always made me laugh when I was even when I was a kid yeah. and um, and the other one um, don't forget to let the neighbours see what a low down deal you got when you yeah. married me yeah yeah that, awesome. <laughs> you want to talk about poetry who, who hasn't heard somebody's parents say don't <laughs> don't buddy <laughs> Don't forget to let the whole neighbourhood know. <laughs> That's right. I'm the bad guy again. It's always me, isn't Make it? Make sure everybody hears it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Speaks to me. Yeah. Don't forget to let the neighbours see. Yep. And talking to the cat and the dog, I can just see. Oh, uh, uh, um, wonderful. Yeah. It's fantastic. Jesus. Oh, um, should I have had this? Hot? No, I shouldn't have had it. Oh, anyway, oh, we, we're good. getting bogged down. Right. Let's keep going. Number four. Four. I had 20th Century. Okay. 20th Century. That's a good song. And it's got... Uh, okay, let me let me just talk about this for a second because Steve Presswich didn't play on this whole album. They had another drummer called Ray Arnott. Correct. Except for two songs. Except for two or three songs, maybe. I think... Um, uh, it was the two he wrote. Yeah, no. Uh, well, he wrote Flame, Flame Trees. So any album... <laughs> So you think, well, hang on a sec, boys, you got this at number, do you have this at number four? Me? Yeah. No. No, okay, so hang on a sec, Sam, you got this at number four and it's got Flame Trees on it? And well, of course, in my opinion, Flame Trees is one of the greatest songs ever written. Well, I was going to blow up, but I, I understand why you've got it at four, because like I just said a minute ago, <laughs> I did have a, a few sleepless nights trying to arrange these in order. It's probably blasphemous even doing it, but oh, Jesus, yeah, it's fun. It is. <laughs> 
<laughs> it is. You shouldn't. I know. You shouldn't be going through and. Well, this raiding. album we recorded in 1983 at um, yeah. Paradise Studios, I think, in Sydney with Mark Hope. It's a long time producer, but it was. This album was particularly um, fraught with with uh, tension within mm. the band. They they'd just come back from Germany uh, on a on a tour where everything started to break down. Uh, drummer Steve Presswich was um, pretty much sick of everybody by now. Him and Jimmy Barnes had a long running. Um, they uh, I think they they loved each other, but they. Uh, a Scottish, a Scottish guy and a guy from Liverpool, for whatever reason, just butted heads constantly, and they were getting in fistfights all the time, which they always had, but it got particularly bad. Mm. And even Don Walker had 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 enough of Steve Presswich by this stage. Steve just didn't want to be in the band; he was sick of the touring. And when they got uh, home, they sacked him and got Ray on it. I think the financial. Yeah. aspect of it was coming into play as well where they weren't getting even splits and blah 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 and so like every band you know they all go through it all this kind of thing and i think what was the other thing about this album was that barnsey wanted it really slick and don walker wanted it real raw and rough and well i think they uh, did yeah i don't know so there would have been tensions there and a new a new member that's always going to upset the apple cart and um i don't know too much about ray arnett i know he's kind of played with a lot of people in australia i think maybe he would have been playing with richie clapton at one point i, yeah, think, I don't know but, i think he was just one of those guys that was around all the time and he, he um he just got drafted in but steve Presswich oh he was did, in the dingoes that's right oh, that's he was right. in the dingoes and um he was yeah kind of hanging around that kind of scene i suppose so they would have known him for years and um and he was yeah he was in all those kind of things let's hear the title track Well, <laughs> have you changed a, your mind now? Oh, great song, far out. Um, and the uh, hairs on my legs just stood up then, and that's what's been happening a lot when we've been revisiting some of these songs. Well, I, I think if, if they they couldn't have found a better bloke to fill in for Steve, I think, because right to me, I, I mean, I, I've known for a long time, but it never struck me as being. It's not jarring like no. to me. Ja- Charlie Drayton in Cold Chisel is jarring to me. Right. Whereas that, Ray Arnott playing on, he played on that song. Um, yeah. And th- that well, sounds to me like, like the way Steve would play it. I um, just did a little bit of reading on Ray Arnott and he was in Flash and the Pan. Oh, he was in George and Harry's band. So he's definitely okay. been around the scene and he definitely knew the guys and he knew that style. Well, yeah, and it was probably good at, at imitating. And and well, there you go, because that's that style. You bring Charlie Drayton, who of course is an American drummer who 
had played with Keith Richards and he was the drummer on Love Shack, of all things. Oh, and, yeah. um, and so very different stylistically and de- very different culture- culturally as well. But so you got Ray Arnott who's been hanging around in the scene and he knows all the same people. So, of course, he's going to be pretty close. Uh, yeah, but that's a bloody good song, in the 20th century? And all the backup singing and I'm, I don't know if we'll get into it later, but geez, is Mossy the greatest backup singer of all time? Possibly. We yeah, will get into he, that. He definitely, he have to be there. And I think Phil sings a fair bit as well, doesn't he? Like he does. in that song there, there's definitely a lot of backup vocals there. Um, Mossy had the higher voice, I think. But yeah, Phil, Phil holds his own as well. They could all sing. Pretty sure. Yeah, St- right. Yeah. Steve Presswich is a good singer as well. Yeah, they, they just happened to, yeah, all five of them could sing and sing well. But they just happened to have two of Australia's <laughs> greatest ever. Yeah, ever. Um, so it was. It was. I suppose there might have been a little. I, I, do you think Steve or Don or Phil would have wanted to sing lead on on anything? Oh, I know Steve did because he actually did sing lead on a few songs oh, that's uh, right. later on down the track, and I think he did. He had a solo album and everything as well, and great songwriter too, Steve Presswich. Um, no, but I don't think any of them. Oh, but then again, maybe is that where the tensions lie? Between him and Barnsey is maybe Barnsey was obviously the star of the show and Steve got a bit nose out of joint about that or? Maybe. I've got, and I, I might just say this now, is I'm pretty good friends with a bloke called Yak Sherrod. And Yak Sherrod, of course, was Barnsey's drummer at some point through the 90s and uh, did a lot of playing with Barnsey and he knew Steve Presswich really well and I was talking to him about him one night thinking that he was actually a pretty prickly sort of customer and really hard to get along with and I've got it on good authority from Yak that he was the best dude he ever knew. He seems like a lovely fellow that in the interviews I've seen with him on, on YouTube and, and I've seen a couple with him and Barnsey and they seem like the firmest of chums. Which they probably were. But they were, but, but like, you know what it's like yeah, being oh, in a band. Yeah, no, absolutely. And especially if you got... Barnsey would have been out of control yeah. back then. Well, we've had, we've had some blow-ups <laughs> on the road, don't well, worry, me got, and you. I know, and that's only going as far as Golgong. Imagine if you're stuck, <laughs> stuck in the middle of Germany. Yeah. Oh, I, I can totally, I totally know where it comes from. And, yeah. And, you know, you can't begrudge anybody for having fisty cuffs on the road and everything, so... I think that, I think Barnsey's main problem with with the, the band, if you watch any of the live videos, um, like The Last Stand or any of those German, there's plenty of clips around of them live back in the day in the classic era. era. And Barnsey seemed to be the... He took it upon himself to be the conductor and the musical director. Oh yeah, and he would turn around and, it, and yeah, if yeah. he if he thought someone wasn't giving a hundred percent, he would turn around and scream at him or wave his hands around. Which I think, to me, like a band that good, if they're not firing on, like it, it would be. I, I think uh, it would be easy to kind of relax and just half-ass it in a band that good. But yeah. Barnsley wanted hundred percent, one hundred percent of the time, and if he wasn't getting it. And then you can see how that would rub someone like Steve Presswich up um, the wrong way. Anyway, that's that's well, they, different. You know, well, no, that's why people are listening because they want to know. They yeah. want to know how these things work, and we know. I suppose so. But yeah, <laughs> you're right. Barnsley wanted this album to sound like the Eagles. He wanted a nice slick production. Um, John, uh, Don Walker wanted this album to sound nothing like anything they'd ever done, like just raw and, and balls to the wall. But by this stage, they were barely speaking to each other anyway. 
And, um, and I suppose you got to think it was released in 1984 when all the new wave stuff was coming out and drum machines and synths and everything like that. So Don would have been kicking back against that. And geez, yeah. like what a time in music history for them to even be viable. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like 1984, like you probably got bands like Buddy. I don't know. With Duran the, Duran, Culture Club. Yeah, the Human League and all that <laughs> sort of stuff was starting to pop its head up. And so for these guys to be as rough and as... Well, they weren't rough because they were a great band and they always played well together and everything. But um, you know what I mean? That, that sound, kind of like when grunge came along and blew out all of the hair metal bands and stuff, you know? So they, they kind of stood their ground and, you know, they didn't have any synths or anything like that in any of their... Any no. of their songs, you know what I mean? So. Well, well the production on this album was done by the band themselves. They got Mark Opitz in to help, <laughs> in right. inverted commas, in finger quotes. Uh, and he says, essentially, they wanted me to do the same thing he'd always done, but pay me less. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> it was a bit cheeky of them. But that, it does sound a bit different to the, to, the, um, to the other three albums that we've yet to get to. It's a little bit slicker um, and a little bit kind of uh reverby if that's yeah. a i don't know but yeah. yeah i still think it sounds good anyway we, we, we'll get more into that because obviously i've got it a bit higher than you what was that your number four uh i think so yeah uh yes 20th century number four yes all right well we're nearly at the we're nearly at the top three it's kind of hard doing it like this yeah, but well, anyway. anyway what have you got for your number four, four? i've got east no way uh, East was the the third Cold Chisel album released in 1980 in their kind of commercial breakthrough, uh, if you will. Um, very, very, very famous album. And like I, I've, I keep saying it over and over, but very difficult decision to put this at number four. Um, wow, number four. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Wow, I, I feel, that's I feel, my mind. I feel dirty putting it here where I... Um, so I've given away my top three, and you have too, I suppose. Mm. I think we've both anyone got mind blowers in our top three. Yeah, anyone that's kind of playing along. Well, should we talk about where I've got it because it's uh, it's up there, obviously. No, well, let's do let's let's just say that's where I've got it. Okay, you've and got then it. We'll at talk about four. it. Yeah, we'll talk about it when we get it get to it in your list. But let's okay, talk about good. in between. Uh, in between the the bottom six and the top three, let's talk about where did you first hear Cold Chisel? What's your first memory? Oh, that's a good point. Um, I reckon my first first it would have been on probably Countdown. I would have I, I would say, and I I, I remember Barnsey in his um Roosters jersey, that that kind of era live um around that sort of time when Countdown. So it must have been what. When was he wearing that Roosters jersey well, that, on stage? If, 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 you're think, if I'm thinking of the same one you are, that was the cheap wine video um, filmed in the in the big room. Yeah. And um, he's just wandering around with the moving camera, the band set up in the background. He's got, it's not a it's not a Roosters jersey. I think it's a, a Paddington Colts jersey or something like that. It's oh, a, okay. It's got the red and white V, uh, oh, sorry, right. the, the blue jersey with the red and white V, yeah. But right. it's a it's a classic a classic Barnsey look that's for sure. Yeah, but I suppose us growing up in the eighties, being born in the seventies, growing up growing up in the eighties, we wouldn't have been able to miss them because they would have been on the radio everywhere, and they would have been you know when mum and dad would have dragged us along to pubs and stuff, they would have you know definitely been around us. So probably possibly by osmosis, but I don't think we were talking about ACDC last last week. I don't think. Um, 
I have any real standout kind of memory, like as far as any of us having a cassette or anything like that. I think I always remember that gold-covered cassette, The Greatest Hits, kicking around. Or that was probably on no, CD. No, that was a CD. CD, yeah. So that was way later. But um, yeah, I don't think there was any kind of real lightning bolt moment. I think I just always knew about them just through osmosis. Mm. I would say. Well, that- was, well, yeah, for me anyway, it wasn't until later, later on, probably in my teens, that, that I started really getting into them. Because I, I think as a, as a drummer, once you get over all of the real guys that play real fast and flashy and all that and you start getting back to the song kind of guys like the Ringos and the Charlie Wattses of the world and um I put Steve Presswich right up there. He's he's probably the well, he'd be in the top five song kind of you know, as far as a guy that just plays the right stuff and never does anything stupid and always sounds great and just perfect for the band. And so anyway, so I got a real appreciation for him when I was probably in my teens and so that obviously led into doing a bit of a deeper dive into Cold Chisel into the albums and not just the um uh greatest hits. Well my I did we did have a cassette because I had radio songs. Oh. Uh, sorry, Razor songs. Razor songs. Yeah. <coughs> now, well, that's jog my memory because I do remember that. You remember that, that cover? I, I do remember yeah, that cover. Yeah, I had yeah. that on cassette. Um, so in 1985, uh, compilation, I think it was the first Cold Chisel compilation album was released called Radio Songs. Had all all of their big radio hits, Choir Girl, which we'll, we'll get into all those songs later because they're all off the, the, the big three albums, I suppose you'd say, although you haven't got... Uh, but then in 1987 they released another compilation called razor songs as a bit of a uh, a companion to radio songs now razor songs had the not deep cuts i suppose some of them were still hits but they were a little bit harder edged not so poppy they had home and broken hearted standing on the outside conversations hold me tight um now i up to this point i had only heard cheap wine because it was a a bit of a, a um like to me that's their their most apart from KSN of course but that's their most famous uh I think if you went down the street now and asked any passerby to name three cold chisel songs cheap wine would be in there yeah. in their three right any you know any layman yeah so that yeah that was the first one I heard and that that with Barnsley in his in his red white and blue footy jersey in a big room I think that was filmed in Elizabeth Bay in Sydney um, and which is also incidentally where the cover art for East was shot, Jimmy in the bath with in his the bathtub. Yeah, is a recreation of a painting. Anyway, uh, yeah, so that was my first introduction to them. Uh, that and I think that sort of skewed my my cold chisel uh, tastes away from the because I, I used to listen to this over and over and over and over and over again. And I never tried, maybe the reason you never, like it was never that prevalent is I never used to try and play along with this. Oh, okay. Like I'd play, I'd, for that, I'm a guitar player, so I'd start, I'd, I'd sit in front of the stereo for hours and try and play along with songs to learn them and teach myself how to play. This album I never tried because I, I think I might have tried a couple of times and realized it was way too hard for me. Mm. Um, apart from one song, Rising Sun, which we'll get to, which is like a pretty Bo- much a blues. Bo- boogie woogie yeah. song. <laughs> <laughs> or Rockabilly. It's almost Rockabilly, yeah, yeah. isn't it? But yeah, um, so that was my introduction. And then I just kind of I fell in love with them and have been ever since. But um, let's go to number three. Okay, so we got our, up to our top three then. 
Yeah, big reveal. Who's going first? <laughs> I'm bloody scared about what you're going to put at number one, you know. No. Oh, no, I'm not. I oh, know no, you're going to. But number two, that. I think, is going to. Well, okay, let me put everybody out of their misery. My number three is no plans. Oh, yeah, I thought you were going to do that. Actually, I thought you were going to have it at number two. At number two. No, it's not at number two because at number two I had... Uh, 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 I'm no, not going to uh, give it away. <laughs> not going to give it away. Okay, so <coughs> I oh. remember when this came out and I remember it blew my mind that they had Charlie Drayton to replace Steve Presswich, who, of course, had died from brain cancer, I think, maybe couple of years before then or whenever the thing was and I, I think what happened is I'd heard the song I think what was the single was no plans I think was the first one that came out and I remember thinking that sounds a bit different and I think at that point I didn't actually know that Charlie Drayton had joined the band I think I'm trying to think back here this is a few years ago but um anyway something like that and then when I found out it was actually Charlie Drayton who He's one of my favourites. I really love Charlie Drayton. I, like he, and so just a bit of background on Charlie Drayton. We did that before, but there was a couple of Divinals albums because he was actually married to um, Chrissy Amphlett, was his wife. Um, but he played on all that I Touch Myself and all that sort of era of Divinals. And so Australian audiences have known about him for a while, whether they knew it was him or not. Anyway, so... When I, when I first heard it, I, I, I thought that sounds a little bit different, but we played No Plans before and I thought, man, that actually sounds great. Who's the new guy? Charlie Drayton. And it blew my mind. Blew my mind that it was him. And I reckon he's a really good fit for the band. Because, hang on. Hang on. All right. No, keep sorry, going. Sorry, no. Keep going. I was going to say, because there would have been people lining up around Sydney and Melbourne to join this band that would not have fit the band. And one of them, I don't know if I can say this. One of them was Charlie Drayton, and no. they hired him anyway. Well, I, again, I was talking to Yak about it. <laughs> oh, did Yak put his throat yeah. No, no, because I thought, I didn't think they were going to, because Yak's really not playing drums that much anymore. But but when 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 Steve died and everything, and I thought, oh, that's the end of the band. But then when they were saying that they were kind of reforming and everything, it was like, oh, okay, well, who are they going to get? And I thought, well, maybe Yak might kind of come out of retirement because he's got that sort of lineage and all of that, and he knows all those sort of people. And he's in that crowd, but it didn't happen. But the one that I thought, and I was kind of hoping wouldn't happen because he was a little bit too young, I thought, at the time, a little bit inexperienced, was Jimmy Barnes's son, Jackie James, who actually plays with Jimmy now in his solo band, plays with a lot of people around. But we're talking sort of five, six, seven years ago, and he was kind of probably a little bit young and inexperienced, I think. So, well, actually, no, it was 10 years ago. To me, this sounds like you've put this at number three because you're a Charlie Drayton fan. No, I like the songs on it oh. as well. I actually like the songs on it, and and I I don't get it. I, I really <laughs> I really like it. I, I love that you said it before that HQ four fifty four Monroe. I like mm. you, you listen to the lyrics in that. It's lovely. Put it on for a second.
I'm not, I'm not here to judge anybody. <laughs> so I think I'll just go. I'll, how can you get a better? How can you get a better storyline than someone having to choose between his muscle car and his missus? And then she finds a new bloke that comes and picks her up in a Daihatsu or something. <laughs> That's wonderful. And anyway, getting back to the performance. But it's got no, there's no melody or anything. It's just a straight out. It's like a, a cover band. Oh, not a cover. Like a dad band blues song. Oh, Don't you maybe, think? Maybe I like Don't it. you think we could go in there, a couple of dads, we could go in the next room right now and write HQ 454 Munro? <laughs> no, I don't reckon I could. Hey, know. while we're on the subject of cars, uh, last last um, last week we were talking about uh, the two different ACDC eras and and compared them to cars. Yeah, I've had I've come up with a cold chisel car analogy. Oh, have you? Yeah, you want to hear it? Yeah, let's hear it. Cold chisel are an HK Premier. Yeah, <laughs> with a three hundred seven V eight, like, but it's real. It's second hand, and you don't know if it's just going to explode, or when it's. Well, it could it could explode at any minute, but when it's running right, yeah, it turns it, heads. It, yeah, it, and it could get you from like <laughs> Cowra to Canounder in seven minutes. <laughs> Anyone who knows, that's what oh, on a good day, probably what about an eighteen minute trip? <laughs> seven in an HK. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, well, yeah. Well, there, well, there, well, there you go. They're an HQ four fifty four Munro. That's what sort of band they are. <laughs> but I don't even know. What is a Munro? Why isn't it Monaro? Have they misspelt that? No, a Munro. I, I looked it up, actually. I'll look it up. We'll do it's it not an... Is it an American minute. car? Because that's going to no, make me even more upset if it is. I don't think it is an American car. Jesus Christ. Anyway, but uh, Steve Presswich actually played on that song because I remember thinking, Jesus Christ, Charlie sounds great on this, but it was uh, Steve, some of the last recorded stuff that he did, but... um. Oh, I like I like the songs on it. I gotta get back on the road. <laughs> I like that, and that our old flame is like an old sort of bluesy sort of thing. I don't know. I just like the songs on it. I think it's good. Why is it called Munro? I'm looking it up now, and there's nothing here. Oh, I, I think they meant Monaro. This might be. This might put it. I might have to readjust and put it down the bottom of my. Uh, we haven't got time. No, it's something. I'll look it up. Got something. There's a lyric in there. Is when I light the nitro on my. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> well, Don she's Walker. Got, and, and, Don Walker wrote it. And your she, boy. I know he wrote it. <laughs> that's why it's so bad. She got fuely heads. That's a. That's in a Bruce Springsteen song. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, well. I got a '69 Chevy with a '396 <laughs> fuely heads and hearst on the floor. Maybe that was Troy Cassidale's. It input. could have been. I love you, Troy. Yeah, we do actually. And uh, anyway, yeah, I don't know. I, yeah, and it's got input from Steve Presswich. He sung one of the I'm songs. I'm not going to poo. I'm not going to poo poo you. Yeah, I'm just going to say we're that, all about. No. You just think I'm a little misguided. But, I do, but I bring it home with my top two. Well, I thought I did. Well, because I'm, if you haven't worked it out, I got one of your outside of the three in my top two. Yeah, of course you have. I've, well, I've got <laughs> you, I've got your. <laughs> this is my number three. Is your your ninth? Really? Yeah. The perfect crime. Oh, sorry, you're eighth. Is it when you yeah, did you last have the, wave of summer? No, no, the the cold chisel self titled nineteen seventy eight. Oh, seven. Had that seven. Seven. See, possibly that's disgraceful. Should have, possibly should have been well, six. Well, I put this at number three because of K. Sam, because of Home and Broken Hearted, because of Juliet, Das Kazine, Just how many times? Um, to me, this is one of the best Australian debut albums 
of all time. Warwick McFadden, music critic, says, Lightning in a bottle. It flashed and sparked an explosion of electrical storms that at times turned into a smooth, slow river of mercury. Jazz anarchy in its attitude, fast, loud, angry, sad, melancholic, resigned, defiant, let the heavens rain upon me. They never bettered it, says Warwick McFadgen. Wow. Um, Come on, Warwick. Well, to me, I kind of agree with him. To me, they didn't better it. Well, they did. Oh, it's hard to explain. I don't know. This just, this album sounds like, to me, sounds like Australia in the well, 70s. Yeah, but uh, but I'm gonna I'm gonna talk more about sounding like Australia a bit later on. Yeah. But it's a truly Australian album. It's got so many Australian themes and stuff on it. Even K Sandwich is named, of course, after um, a, a place in Vietnam. Is about an Australian war veteran returning home. Um, it's it's a pretty ex- when you when you read the lyrics, which I know you're not that much into, you're more into the music side of it. But when you read the lyrics, it's it's a pretty bloody amazing album. And the the songs, like you say, it's not cohesive, but they're so wildly different from song to song. Makes to me makes it more impressive because yeah. it just showed how much. Well, let's just have a listen to just how many times this song. Um, is one of the uh, sometimes you'll you'll hear uh, comments, well, you used to hear it in pubs. Ah, Jimmy Barnes can't sing, he just screams. Have you ever heard that? Oh, yeah, wrong. 100% right. And they're talking about early Barnesy too. Like, I'd, you'd, uh, you'd, make a, you'd make a case for it with later Barnesy, but... Yeah, but, um, well, this was my go-to um, when I could lure them back to my flat. <laughs> <laughs> this is the one to listen to music. Yeah. yeah, listen to this. Male listen or this, female. Mate, he can sing. Listen yeah. to this. And this is when I'd really arc up and kind of get into <laughs> arguments and say, listen, fucking listen to this, mate. You tell me, Barnsley just screams, fuck. Lovers see the world through an old red wine. All the sounds of the blues. Will it just disappear with a light like yours beside me? It's been an old, old red wine. Wonderful vocal. Listen to that vibrato and the. That's <clears throat> so. What I good. will say about it, that vocal. Is he makes to me the cardinal cardinal mistake that you know what I'm talking about there? I think the word is disappear disappear that minor is that what you call it? Why is that a mistake though? It's not a mistake. I just don't think it's the best note choice. (laughs) (laughs) I'm talking about vocal performance. Like the the, oh, the, the tone, tone, tone the, of his voice and the is technique amazing, yeah, and they captured it really well. I know they Peter Walker produced this, and um, they were happy with his work with Richie Clapton, I think, but not so as happy because I think they wanted this to be like their live. They couldn't understand why it didn't sound like them live, and it's never going to sound like them live in the studio. But um, I think he captured Barnsley's tone very well i just want to go to the end of this song as well
One of my favourite cold, cold chisel lyrics, please don't leave me sober, leave me blue. I think about it often and wonder what it means. <laughs> I don't know. Can you interpret it? Because well, I can't. Well, all I could think of is that why did he choose the last blue to be that note and not the blue note that he was singing before? <sighs> that's all I'm saying. Come on. I'm saying. <laughs> and if that made me put it seven, then that's so well, be it. Let me wax lyrical about Jimmy Barnes for a minute. <laughs> Is Jimmy Barnes, he's a national treasure. That's undisputed, would you say? Oh, if you walked, if I can use this one again, if you walked down the street now and asked ask the random passerby, um, name an Australian singer. They'd say John Farnham. You reckon? Yeah, I you think your average a, layman. Uh, I, think, I think the thing about Barnes, he might have been a little bit too dangerous for some people back in the day. But everyone and knows it, who he is, don't they? Yeah, but say if you asked our mother, who's who's a you know who's your favourite Australian singer, she'd probably say John. Farnham. Oh, definitely. Yeah, she wouldn't, she wouldn't say Barnsey because Barnsey had that edge about him and that kind of uh, that aggressive well, vocal people style. People of people of that era, the boomer era. Boomers are they boomers? Oh, of course. Yeah, they're firm boomers. Um, boomers would tell you, ah, oh, don't listen to that rubbish, bloody screaming. <laughs> Can't understand what he's saying. <laughs> they would. That's exactly it. So, um, yeah, they prefer. But, but they all know who more. he is. Oh, of course. But I and think what, people what I, of our generation would hold Barnsey up in in higher esteem than someone like John Farnham or. Yeah, I, I, what I like about Barnsey, I follow him on Instagram and on um, Facebook and everything. He seems like an absolutely wonderful fella nowadays. Now he's gotten off the grog and he's got grandkiddies around him. He's got all his family. Every time he posts everything, it's with his lovely wife who God knows what she put up with. Like God knows. But he just seems like an absolutely wonderful grandfather. You know what I mean? Like he's kind of hit that age now where he's just that bloke that you want to go have a beer with and and you want well, to, he doesn't drink anymore. Yeah, but he like he put up a post today about his flowers. Like, you know, I haven't done anything to these flowers. And look at them. They're going berserk. I'm going to cut some up and I'm going to go give some to my wife and some to the neighbours. Well, there's two really good, for people who want to investigate <laughs> Barnsley a little further, you know, modern day Barnsley, there's two really good interviews with Andrew Denton on oh. YouTube. Yes. That are fantastic and shows you what kind of fella he is now. But yeah, I, and what he went through, like yeah. like you mentioned his book before, like oh, geez, I think he like, always has a been a, a good fella. Yeah, but just was a little bit wild and could could say and do things that he immediately. Oh, I don't like most of us. I think in his solo album, like you know, when he's palling around with the keyboard player at a journey and writing working class man all that, I don't think he would have been the kind of bloke you'd want to hang around with then. Oh, uh, maybe not. Yeah, you mean eighties, mid eighties, late eighties, yeah, Barnsley. Yeah, you know, yeah. coked up Barnsley and like hanging around with some pretty big sort of players in LA and all that. I definitely don't think he'd be. I'd rather Barnsley today, yeah. as far as to hang around with. Yeah, he's a pretty <laughs> twitchy dude too. He kind of and talks fast and and he's he can't sit sit still. Hmm. If you watch those interviews on YouTube, you'll see what I mean. But I think, and I'm going to make a very bold claim here. I think he's Australia's greatest ever singer. There you go. I'd agree with that. Really? Yeah, absolutely. Put him 100%. over Bond. Ooh, 
Well, we spoke about how good Bon was as a singer. You know, like technically and everything, and what a great singer he was. But yeah, geez, you just thrown me then. Um, he had nothing. Yeah, no, I, I think Barnsley's a better singer. There you go. Yeah, I think he is. I oh, think Bon was a better rock star. Uh, yeah, well, Barnsley had nothing in the rock star stakes. No, he, like Barnsley didn't have like the big yeah. package like Bon, you know, with the little <laughs> tight things. Well, he the... never knew what to do on stage. <laughs> yeah, and when you watch him live, he he doesn't he can't clap in time. Yeah, yeah, his stagecraft isn't anywhere up there. No, he's got nothing, and he he can never break stuff properly. <laughs> And he just sort of, he sort of just stumbles around the stage Un- like unco- this wild, un- uncoordinated. Yeah. yeah, and he's still the same, isn't he? He's, he's got like a someone's put him in some stage getup now, where he seems to be wearing the same thing, like these weird looking tracky ducks and oh, and the zippers, diagonal zippers, yeah, all someone's over and big boots of, and stuff. Yeah, I think someone's t- tried to kind of, you know, market him or you know, like present him as a brand or I don't know what they're trying to do. Oh, but, definitely, but, like but, the, um, yeah, the, and and everything's real tight because they're saying, yeah. "Well, you're getting a bit heavy now, Jim. You better put some tight <laughs> stuff on, mate, because big clothes don't look big good on big fellas." I loved him when he was doing his own styling. When he had the, he went through a period there with the combat like cargo pants and the combat boots and the white t-shirt. Yeah. And the upside down Japanese headband. Oh yeah, um, it's a classic. What were the other looks? Oh, of course, the the red, white, and blue footy jumper with the jeans. I think that's my favourite. Yeah, and then he got into the tasseled leather jackets in the body, no, body swerves. Yeah, that was but we're the talking, solo. Yeah, area. we're talking solo area there. But, um, but, um, the the late eighty. Uh, the sorry, the late cold chisel classic period. He just went with um, leather pants and the white shirt, <laughs> <laughs> which is that that'll never die. <laughs> But God bless him. I, I, oh, he's yeah. an absolute national treasure and I he love is. him to death and he can sing like nobody else and I've ever heard. I'm just happy he's still here. Oh, and of he, course. You know he what I mean? Be. Like he shouldn't be. There's a whole yeah. whole lot of reasons why he shouldn't be here. And I'm just glad he's made it into being a grandfather and enjoying his flowers and enjoying his nice house and whatever money he's got left. It looks like he's actually pretty... He always seems to have... Millions of dollars. Yeah, like, there's he does been seem highly to. publicized uh, bankruptcies, yeah. and, and he had to. I think he had to flee to France there for a while because of some. Yeah, that's what I mean. He's, yeah. he's well publicized, like him going broke numerous times, but he seems pretty well off and comfortable. Got mm. a nice, nice house, nice studio. Um. All right. So number three. That's my. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. What did I? What, no, what, how three. did we get off on that? No. Well, that's okay. That's because uh, I had number three. I had no plans. So no. That's, that's right. So mine, that's three. So we're into our. T- we're into our top two now. The big two. All right. Uh, go number two. Oh, I know what it is. Well, number two. I had East. Yeah. Well, my, see, I'm not that much lower on East. I had it well, at four. You had it at four, but, I, but we East, haven't discussed this one yet. East was one of the ones I was tossing up whether I have it at number one or not, because um. Jeez, come on. Well, there was a couple of reasons why this uh, Yeah, wasn't. well, tell me why it wasn't in your three. There you go. That's a good... good. All right. Um, to me, the the Mossy songs let this one down. And I, really? feel, I feel like throwing up as I say that. Yeah, Never Before was a Mossy song, wasn't it? Yeah, Never Before and Tomorrow, and I think. Tomorrow. It was Tomorrow? Uh, I don't mind Tomorrow. I See, they're, like tomorrow. they're the two songs for me. Is this the first album that a Phil Small album, uh, song's been on it? My, My baby. baby, yeah. Anyway, sorry, go on. Well, that's the other one I don't like. Yeah, right. So I don't like My Baby, I don't like Never Before, and I don't like, um, um, what was it, Tomorrow, and I also don't like Best Kept Lies. But the rest right. of it tears my ass off. Yeah, so you like all of the um, 
Don Walker songs, which well, is fair enough. Well, no, I like, uh, there's plenty of Mossy songs and Barnsey songs too, which I'll get to. Oh, okay. Is Choir Girl a Barnsey song? I'll get to soon. No, Bar- uh, <coughs> Choir Girl's a uh, Don a a Don, song. Don song. Right, so you've got Standing on the Outside, one of the great songs. Choir Girl. To me, one of the great songs. Probably not one of their greatest listen, songs. We've got to listen. You can't say it without listening to it. Okay. Just when you say, oh, it's not one of their best songs, you realise it is actually one of the, not only their best songs, but one of the best songs ever written. I think it is their best song. Holy crap. Well, I don't know. It changes like, from day to day, just like my order of albums. But that song is Just like that little bit where Mossy comes in with that loves me like a sister, like the little harmony there. and I, I, I try to, I think, <sighs> I, I probably I, without exaggeration, I would have tried to sing that Mossy harmony line there oh. at least. Did a thousand hear, times. Did and you I'll, hear me sing yeah, it? Yeah, I can never get it. Nailed ever. it. I'm, I'm much I think, more. No, I think there's a little bit of a, a subtlety there that you miss. <laughs> but we'll talk about that later. <laughs> He's one of the all-time great backing vocalists and one of the all-time great lead vocalists, well, which usually you don't get in the one person. Someone, know, a lot of lead singers can't harmonise. Yeah, well, like me. I'm a terrible harmony singer. Um, how's the sound of the bass drum in that? Well, I want to talk about the bass guitar. Oh, I want to talk about Mossy, of course. We've covered, we've co- who we covered, Don, Don, and we we didn't even mention Don's piano playing before. Oh, yeah. We only mentioned his songwriting. Amazing but, piano playing. Yeah, Jesus Christ, we're going to be here forever. Yeah, I know. But <laughs> Phil Small, to me, is could well, I think he is Australia's greatest bass player. Well, I can't think of anybody. No, like. I actually can't think of anybody that, you know, in the greatness kind of, there's a lot of great players. Well, I've said that before to great bass players that I know. I've said, name me, tell me a better bass player than Phil Small. And and you can see that their brains start ticking over and nobody's ever been able to, to um, tell me somebody better. Australian, I mean. Yeah. Or ever. Anyone. I don't know. As I far think- as melodic... Yeah, and, and and the thing is, you've um, got to think about when these guys were coming up. So, and it's not like you could go down and just go onto YouTube and find great bass players to emulate. 
excuse me, or um, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> to emulate or whatever. But yeah, like, who they had? They would have had Paul McCartney, of course, as a great bass player, and then the Motown guys like James Jameson and all of that. But like, who who were these guys listening to? Well, maybe that's the secret. Don't really have. You know, have one or two really good influences and then do your own thing. Maybe that's the problem with these kids nowadays is they've got too many bloody influences. Perhaps. I don't know. But anyway, his bass playing is just... And was he a P-bass guy? Uh, yeah. I, I think, think he's he... had uh, Music Man Music as Man. well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, there you but go. He's the, he's, uh, he certainly lives up to his name. He's tiny. Tiny. All of them are, are reasonably small, I think. Um, but no, well, uh, Mossy's huge. Oh, you've met Mossy, of oh, course. I met Mossy. Well, we'll talk yeah. about Mossy last. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But M- Mossy's bigger than me. Is he really? He, no, he is. He's bigger than me in his hands. I know he, he's got giant hands. He could lift me up with his hands. Like Dad said, i got a big head. He His hands would go <laughs> around my head. Easy. He's got the biggest hands I've ever seen. Watch him next time he plays his strat. He's got the biggest hands you'll ever see. Anyway, and he's deaf. Deaf. He's as deaf deaf as a carrot. He's got the big set among us too. (laughs) Well, so is Jimmy. If you watch the choir girl. Yeah, they've uh, got big ears, both of them. The choir girl video makes me laugh because they they must have dressed them all up and said, oh, just wear white, boys. And Jimmy's got this crushed up, bloody horrible <laughs> off-white suit. <laughs> it's awful. And a short haircut with his big mungus yeah. sticking out. But um, Steve Presswich must have got the email or the <laughs> the <laughs> telegram. Yeah. Um, and he just turned up in his blue trucky singlet, He's, which yeah, I've always loved him for. I've always loved But that that's book. a great video. I love it. Um, and that the arrangement in that song is just fucking extraordinary. How well it's arranged and how how tight it is and um, uh, yeah so i had this at number two because it's before i said well you know there's they're disjointed this album blah 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 but you got a you got an album with standing on the outside which is a pretty rocking sort of raw you know like barnstorming kind of song like it you know and then they change gears into my baby and cheap wine even and then ida and then star hotel well, this was written oh. uh, very much as a, um, from all reports, was written as a, a, a purposely commercial album, and I don't oh, think they succeeded okay. at all. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think any of these songs are. The, I think the the most um, the most commercial song they ever wrote is on the album, which we've, we've, looks like we've both got it number one. But um, I'm. Um, I'm di- diverging from my point, which I've now forgotten what it was. <laughs> Help me out. <laughs> well, you're saying about this being a commercial album, and so they would have written it because they probably all had massive tax bills or something like that. Is that yeah, what you're saying? No, or, I think or, they or wanted someone... to break through. They wanted yeah, yeah, to get, right, get to yeah. America. Well, this is the album. Let's talk about that. This is the album that they toured America on. Yeah. And when they got there, they found out that they weren't being particularly well supported. The uh, the single was going to be my baby, which they the the record company sent out to radio stations wrapped up in a nappy, oh, really? or as they yeah as they called it over there, um, a diaper. A diaper. Um, and they yeah. so they completely missed the point of the song. It wasn't about an actual literal baby. It was about <laughs> oh okay yeah, yeah. It was about a girl and yeah. so they got really cranky about that. Jimmy Barnes had a huge fight with um 
and a guy called Marty Schwartz, who was their their um, like label representative, A&R who, guy, yeah, so, who told Jimmy that he wasn't going to come to the gig that night because he had to go to a DJ's dog's birthday, and yeah. that apparently is a true story. <laughs> well, why would they do that in America? So my baby is bloody um, Mossy singing that. Yeah, written by Phil Small, sing, sung yeah. by Mossy. So it wasn't representative the, of, them of at all. the band at all. No. Yeah. And I don't think it's a very good song. And no, one of the reasons. One of their best, but then I why I had it at number four. And it's, yeah, and I suppose when you do a bit of a deep dive into it, Choir Girl was about an abortion. And <laughs> so yeah. It's probably not very US friendly kind of album, really, was it? <clears throat> they wouldn't have known what to do with it. The classic case of here's this band from Australia, what do we do with them? Yeah, that's true. It is well. It, it's not as Australian as as Australian sounding as their self-titled one. I don't think it has got a bit of a, a sheen to it, and there's not too many references to um, Australian culture or well, landmarks apart, or anything apart from like Ida. that. Apart well, from I, well, the, 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 I'm getting to that. The Star yeah. Ho- Ida Star Hotel and Four Walls at the end yeah. are um are very. But the rest of it, oh, the standing on the outside's got the reference. Um, um, pulled a job on a small town TAB. You can't yeah. get that lyric overseas. What a fucking what a lyric what a that cracker. is. Oh yeah, and see, well, you're talking about Don Walker kind of poetry and everything. I think this album's full of it. Yeah, standing well, on the outside, like yeah, man. Yeah, um, but no, it's not. It's not that I, I shouldn't say it hasn't got as many references. It doesn't sound like Australia. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. I yeah. know what you mean. But um, never before. I just while we're talking about lyrics, I want to pick a bone here with um, you. You mentioned Yak share it before. Mm-hmm. Johnny Diesel had a song in the late eighties called. I've forgotten it now. <laughs> What's that? Big, the, his biggest hit. Um, cry and shame. Cry and shame. He had a lyric in that: uh, "Words of sorrow, words of spite." Well, he never before wish no words of sorrow, nor whisper words of spite. Oh. Did you know that? They're probably okay with Johnny. I think Johnny ripped it off. Oh, of course. He I'm, I'm, not, about I'm that. not. I'm not. I'm not. No, well, what I'm saying is, they would have been okay with him doing it. I think he's, Johnny's like their little brother, isn't he? Well, he's he's married. got a connection. He's yeah. He's married to Jane's sister. Yeah, so yeah, his he's Jimmy's brother, brother and, and all. So he would have gone, okay, that's all right, Jimmy. I don't think they were at that stage anyway. No, we, no. We're getting off topic. <laughs> uh, Rising Sun, track number four, written uh, written for Jane Barnes, speaking of Jane, by Jimmy. That was one of Jimmy's first uh, first writing efforts oh, in cultures. Yeah. Good song. Ball Terror, yeah. My Baby. Tomorrow, uh, I've already said I'm not a big fan of, but you like it apparently? Yeah. Cheap Wine. See, this is why I put it at number four. Cheap Wine to me is a... A great song, but one of those ones that's been overplayed a bit and kind of like... Yeah, the there's good reason for that, though. And then, like we always say, Bogans have good taste in music. <laughs> they do, actually. <laughs> they do. And something struck a chord with them in this song. And it's you know, probably because of the comedy aspect of people singing cheap wine and three-legged goat or whatever. And I, I love I love how, <laughs> how Don uh, equates... Um, equates uh luxury with <laughs> like or, or you know living good to uh denim and cigars and foreign cars yeah, foreign at the cars. start of it i yeah. always i always used to think drove a foreign car <laughs> it always made me think oh what has he got like a a, a datsun or something yeah yeah um it's, uh, what a great song it's fantastic but I don't know. It, and the the chorus is very much a shouter, isn't it? Like something that people can shout along with at pubs or Yeah, it's or an gigs. An- anthemic. But um, I love it. 
I, I think it's it's a song that I don't turn off. If I ever hear it on the radio, oh, me I, or I'll listen to it every single time. And that was one of my criteria, actually, was, was songs that I would skip um, if I had them on yeah, well, know, there full you go. albums. But I, I, would I think never, I'd probably skip Never Before. Yeah, that's it. I, I would skip Tomorrow, Never Before, Best Kept Lies I'd skip. I say I really like Tomorrow. But this one I would not never, ever, ever skip. Musicians out there, if you're in a band with a keyboard and a guitar, that's how you do it. How's the the interplay between the two? Mossy never, ever, they never, ever, ever plays. And they never, ever tread on each other's toes. Yeah. And then Phil's in the background there, anchoring it all. That song is so good. It's <laughs> so good. <laughs> For those of you overseas, <laughs> yeah, I was going to uh, say, let's tell them yeah. who Ida Butros is. Ida Butros was a television presenter in the, I think, seventies and definitely eighties and 80s. into the nineties as well. But she was um, a very like I would call her. A, she was a handsome woman. Yeah. She was very pretty, strange looking. But somebody in the band obviously had um, had a, a bit of a crush on her, probably Don, I would say, because the lyric goes, uh, Ida's tongue never touches her lips, she could always be my godmother. I don't know what that means, but then, uh, though the desktop hides her hips, my imagination's strong. <laughs> this is a diss track. No, it's not. It is. It's not a diss track. It's a diss track. Of Ida. It's a diss track. No way. Look it up. This no. is 100% a diss track. And if I'm wrong, we'll take it out of the thing. But According to who? This is because there was something going on with TV Week. No, 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 no. No, no, you've got it mixed up. TV Week was the um, was the countdown performance. Yeah, where they smashed everything on stage and everything, but I'm 100% sure this is a diss track. No, this is before all of the, the TV oh, Week drama. No, this is a love song to Ida. Shit. We've got to take it out. No, we don't. Okay, leave it You've in got there. to be on record. Okay, I'm on record. <laughs> no, I, but I, I, I understand to... why you would think it was, because I oh. think I might have even thought it was at one stage, oh but no, God. it's it's a it's a an love admir- song. They love Ida. 
It's been. I've only. I only. I kind of think I only know that because I've seen them talk about it. On well, now I can listen to it in its proper. Oh, meaning. please do. Yes. No, because <laughs> I always thought that. I always thought that they were kind of having because she's. Let me let me put it. Now she was never a Tracy Grimshaw type. No. Like a, oh, like no, but she was never like a um, Farrah Fawcett type or anything either. Like she was a little more matronly. Oh yeah. Than them, you know. But and I can so see why I, someone thought she was hot. <laughs> <laughs> Who wrote it, Don Walker? Yeah. Well, well, there you go. We'll see. That's uh, re- when you read up on Don Walker. He's he's definitely not a. He's not a. He's not your. Um, he's a round peg in a square hole, isn't he? Oh, it? definitely. Like, so I can, I uh, now I get it. So a guy like him actually would find her quite hot. Oh, yeah. And, you know, her tongue never touches her lips. <laughs> like she had that speech impediment. <laughs> yeah. and and, uh, God. I love the the, the visuals, the, the, <laughs> the, the picture in my head, because um, though the roaches are thick on the ground, it was written in like an inner city oh, apartment yeah, and like a share that, house. Yeah, oh, yeah. Every time I hear that, it reminds me of some of the share houses. Not that I lived in, but some of the ones I visited when I was at university in the yeah. late 90s. And uh, and all the boys are gathered around <laughs> shouting nighters on TV. <laughs> I always thought that someone hated her. No, no, no. I'm going to have to read into it a little bit more, but I always thought it was a diss track. No, not a diss track. I'm glad we cleared that up. Now you can listen to it in a whole new light and enjoy it all over again. I enjoy it anyway. I love it. Uh, Star Hotel was next was written about the the riots at the Newcastle, um, a famous riot uh, due to the close down of the Star Hotel. Um, due to some politics and stuff like that, a few cop cars got destroyed. As far as riots go, it wasn't that bad, to be honest. Well, I played at the Star Hotel. I'm sure there. I played at a Star Hotel in Newcastle. I'm sure it was that place. And yeah, this was in the early 2000s. So I don't know if it's still there or not. Yeah, it's still there. It's a Is big. It? Well, as far as I know, I don't know. But um, it it got mythologized a bit, I think. But uh, and it people could have been any pub really that they were singing about. Yeah, but it was just uh, it, it, there was three bars there, and one of them was a gay bar. Oh, okay. and it wasn't necessarily about that, but that's what started it was the the yeah. gay population of Newcastle uh, protesting the sh- the close down of the whole pub, not just the gay part of oh, it. Oh, okay. But then it just escalated, and Bogans got involved. The workers' club was around the corner, and they ended up in a big. It wasn't exactly a riot; it was just police trying to keep people away. The people started throwing bottles and stuff, and then a cop car got lit on fire. It wasn't as no, far as like no one died or anything. No, it's not no. like an American riot. But anyway, people apparently uh, come up to Cold Chisel members to this day and say that they were at the Star Hotel watching Cold Chisel play the night that it all went down, <laughs> but they never played there in their lives. Oh, they did. Yeah. No. So uh, Four Walls was written. By, well, this is an interesting one. Was. A lot of people think it was written about a prison cell, but it was written by Don in his room at the Plaza Hotel. Yeah. And it was written about the, the his hotel room, but then they changed it to incorporate the prison bed rather mm. than... I think the original lyric was single bed. Oh. Yeah, but yeah, it's it's got that. the Bathurst riots in it. Oh, well, a reference to the Bathurst riots. But the, my second favourite track on this album, or well, maybe my equal second with Ida after um, Choir Girl is the, the last track. Let's have a listen.
Well, that one was written by Jimmy. Oh. Um, and I love it to death. I love that first line. Um, I was pretty young. She was. Uh, I was pretty young. You were young and pretty. Fantastic. Wonderful. Now that we've waxed lyrical about that album, I really should have had it higher than fourth. Yeah. But it's definitely number two in my IMHO. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, hang on. Maybe, yeah, it was definitely written by Jimmy, that song. Hmm. Well done, Jim. And Rising Sun, two two songs on that album, which was more than he ever had before. Really starting to... People don't really associate Jimmy with songwriting because a lot of his... Solo stuff, Working Class Men, and that was written by the, the super songwriters from America, Desmond Childs and those guys, wasn't it? Yeah. But man, he wrote some bangers. Love you, Jimmy. Um, now, no, <laughs> number one, I think, we'll, well, we've, we've done, oh, we haven't done my number two. What's your number two? Oh, shit, this is going to blow minds. Right. Well, your mind well, anyway. because yeah, I can't even work out, I can't remember. No, what, you What's can't. your number two? 20th Century. Two number two. Now this was um, I was firm on this in the end. Really? Well, I yeah. I probably should have put. I probably should have swapped East and and the self-titled first album in hindsight. Right. But this is definitely my number two. And this one started, believe it or not, at number six when I first did my yeah, um, my well, list. I which think I, it started there and ended there with me. Yeah, that's where you had it. But then the more I thought about it, the more it just went up. Place by place by place by place. Right, well, tell us why. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, for a start, you mentioned it when you put it at a lowly number six. It's got fucking flame trees on it, for fuck's sake. Oh, I know, and that's what... Now, but not only that, sorry, I swore a bit too much there, but just talking about Jimmy's songwriting, he had three or four on this one. He had No Sense, uh, Only One, and uh, Temptation, I think it was the other one. I don't know. Yeah, but Temptation some, it was written by Jimmy, yep. Yeah, but that the title track that we've already played, 20th Century, is just an absolute banger. I love it that is. song so it much. Is. The 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 melody and everything and the and the the lyrics is just a, it's just a wonderful song and saturday night now there wouldn't be many australian people of our age that don't know this song and it's a fascinating and song and that haven't actually lived the song yeah yeah exactly not necessarily in the setting that it was written in in king's cross um, you, you had any? I've had a couple of nights out. In oh, King's everyone's Cross. had a night out in Kings Cross. Not nothing but, too seedy. No, no. Like, yeah, more of a. But more. But it's universal. Uh, it, it can be a Saturday night anywhere. Anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the it's a very strange song, and there's an interview with uh, Don talking about it, where he's just driving along, I think up in northern use around Coffs Harbour, just talking to some dude about about the writing of different songs. They're all on YouTube. Check them out. He's driving his red Commodore because, of course, he is. Yeah. And at one stage, <laughs> he's talking about a song. I don't think it's this one, another one, but he goes, <laughs> he looks in his mirror and he goes, look at this bloke. <laughs> Which, of course, every Australian exactly. male in the world I say it every I two say, minutes I, I when know. I'm driving. <laughs> oh, God. And you know what? I got two boys, and they're going to say it as well because they hear me say it so much. Look at this. Oh, bloke. he's just Australian AF, that bloke. Yeah, no. Well, Saturday night's interesting because the bass line, pretty much the melody, isn't it? We better have a listen. Play it. Saturday night. Saturday night. 
Okay, young musicians out there, take note of the use of space <coughs> in that, and it would have been so easy for him to clutter it up and put everything on there. It's just mostly bass, isn't it, at yeah, the start? A, yeah, the bass kind of carries it, and then that little sort of synth pad sort of thing that Don's mm. put underneath it, and Barnsley, as usual, just perfect. Oh, that and, got um, the keys to the city bit? Jesus. Oh, and Ray Arnott, kudos to Ray Arnott. Yeah, for, well, that's what I mean. playing the drum, the, the perfect drum part, and... um. Uh, it's got a saxophone solo in it that I'd forgotten about by Billy Rogers. I believe Billy Rogers lives in Perth. I oh, think, does he? Um, he still does gigs out at Fremantle with uh, Lucky Oceans and some of those Well, he's things. on the Last Stand uh, concert. Yeah, I, I, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure Billy Rogers lives in Perth. And oh, I'd I didn't love know to, that. I'd love to go. meet him, wouldn't he? have some stories. I'm going to ride my motorcycle down and, and stalk him. Because I, I think Joe Camilleri played saxophone on. What's the other one that's got a big blazing sax solo in it? I don't know. 
Uh, not on this album, on an earlier album, I think. Uh, anyway, I'll look at that one. But that, that, one up. Uh, that song, like I was saying before we played it, is really interesting in that it was um, pieced together, according to Don. And that, if you listen back, that guitar solo there is out of tune. Yeah. And uh, Don insisted to Mark Opitz that they keep it because Don called it a once-in-a-lifetime guitar solo. And it could never be replicated, even though I'm sure Mossy could have played it again the same way, but it just had a certain thing about it that Don loved and it launched it into the little saxophone bit there. But um, Mark Opitz had to put a heap of reverb and stuff on it to try and make it sound... But I've, I, before I saw that interview, to me it never sounded... I mean, it sounds weird, but it doesn't sound out of tune No, you wouldn't me. know that it was going to piece together, but... Isn't yeah. that the magic of making records? Exactly. <laughs> Jeez, um, what a song. Holy crap. And then Painted Doll, I love that because I think that was on that Razor Songs uh, oh, okay. compilation. So yeah. that probably skewed my... But No Sense, I love. Um, that's a uh, Barnsley song written by uh, about a stalker that he had that kept writing him letters. Um, oh, I didn't know that. Didn't yeah, you? you don't tell me anything. You just go on and on and you don't make no sense. Oh, geez, wouldn't that... Yeah, that would describe a stalker <laughs> we call them punishers <laughs> there you go i'd call it a punisher um only one i love that song that's another barnsey hold me tight is a f- uh, one of my favorite songs can we just play really? a little yeah, snippet of this uh, yeah i'm not a big fan convert me here all right hold me tight hold me tight baby nothing's gonna change it man I think what I love most about this song, I love the vocal performance, and the, it's got the barrel house piano that you seem to love from HQ H fifty four Munro or whatever. Tellers do it, Tanners do it, the Phantom and Diana do it, politicians need it twice a night, presidents and chauffeurs do it, terrorists on sofas do it, movie stars repeat it until it's right and hold oh, me tight. There you go. See, I never really paid much attention to <laughs> that. It almost sounds like a Dr. Seuss book to me. Oh, it's so good. Um, uh, the well, that's all right. Isn't that what makes the world turn? <laughs> Variety. <laughs> Um, and then uh, Sing to Me, uh, uh, admittedly, isn't one of my favourites, but I love the game. Janelle is a song written by Don for his daughter, Danielle, um, oh. but it was changed to Janelle with Mossy Sings. That one is just, I love it. Good night, sweet dreams. It's kind of like a lullaby. <laughs> yeah, lullaby yeah, yeah, it's so good. Um, Dan, just incidentally, uh, Don was a, a single father, and I don't know oh. the circumstances behind it. Um but he, him and his daughter, Danielle, moved around the country together. Um, I'm not sure who the mother was or what happened to her, but... Um, oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. So that's the, his little uh, uh, lullaby for Danielle Taint, I suppose, to protect the innocent, change the... And then Temptation at the end. But to me, why I put this album, this is the crux of the matter, why I put it at number two is I think I have a... Uh, I think this album makes me sad and emotional more than any other Cold Chisel album because to me it 
it's so good and represented what could have been if they hadn't have imploded or or um oh, do you know what i mean like yeah. this this album to me was setting them up for the the rest of the 80s and then it all just went to shit yeah they disbanded yeah and it could have been um because this album uh jimmy wrote a song called no second prize for this yeah album. i was gonna say it got rejected yeah, for this album and got rejected like, and that song could have been on there instead of the game or whatever or one of the ones i didn't like yeah, and, and it could have maybe pushed them but it was number one in australia wasn't it this album yeah oh yeah yeah, yeah and it was so huge and that and they didn't even care bigger. about it yeah. yeah it couldn't have got any bigger in australia anyway but but yeah but mainly uh that that fact and the fact that it's got uh flame trees and i think we'll play flame we'll, we'll talk about uh oh no let's talk about it now yeah talk about flame trees now so it was written by i think believe the music was written by steve Presswich, i think and don walker wrote the lyrics i think he gave it to him with lyricless and don said don really liked it well yeah and it was written on a bass guitar yeah by the yeah. drummer um and he had it hanging around for ages and would would bring it up every now and then and say to don you got anything for this and don never had anything but he he took it and wrote it in a couple of days i think um, and then brought it back to the band. But this song is so... I don't, it, the, a lot of songs make me emotional, and a lot of bands make me emotional, but there's no band and no song that makes me emotional more than this one. And I'm sure that I'm not alone I, in this. Yeah, I agree. I'm getting a little bit emotional now. <laughs> Just thinking about it. Put it on for a sec. many pubs you could walk into in australia and that would come on like a dj put it on or come on the jukebox and you wouldn't like at 1am oh the whole pub starts singing it and they'd be singing the wrong words and no one would even care no i think everybody knows the first two lines <laughs> yeah. kids out driving saturday afternoons um and but yeah there's probably well actually i, I saw a, a cover of it on youtube by um uh who's who's the one from Super Jesus, Sarah McLeod. Oh yeah, and she sings. Um, uh, and the flame trees will. Uh, oh, she gets the lyrics wrong. I can't remember what it was now. But anyway, so it's not universally known, even amongst Australian rock stars, the actual lyrics. But everybody knows the song, surely. Yeah, well, you, I was going to say you could almost have a whole podcast about this. Well, like, people have because I looked it up. <laughs> <laughs> There's they? one one guy's got a three parter about this, this one, one song. song. Yeah, really. But one, the first part just talks about the history of the band. But yeah. the second song, he breaks it down on piano and everything like that. Oh, okay. So, yeah. song exploder kind of thing. Um, yeah. Yeah, well, even just as a study of engine, like music engineering, like the drum sound is dry as anything, but they put like, oh, God, I, I could go on and on and on and on about it. And Phil we'll play Small's the little bass part that he does there underneath. And, oh, yeah. God, it's a... It's, it's a, it's a a it's, perfect song. It's a perfect song. There you go. Thank you. It's a it's a perfect song. And um of course it talks about uh it's written about going home. Yeah. And I think that's why it makes me so emotional is 
going back, like living in the city and then going back to your hometown, like a country town, and in this case, Grafton, where Don's from, and seeing your old mates talking about, have you seen so-and-so? Um, and then this this song in particular, well, of course in particular, because it's the one we're fucking talking about. I'm starting to lo- <laughs> I'm I'm losing it or I'm getting emotional. But... um. It's written, Don uh, left a girl behind in Grafton to go down to Adelaide. And so when he gets home, the number, the rules, ne- number three is never say her name. Ah, well, there you go. See, I- so you can talk about everything else, but don't talk about the girl he left behind because he's still in love with her. And then he sees the girl and the guy falling in love near where the pianola stands. And then he's wondering if... The guy's gonna go or stay because that's what he did. Yeah, it's so fucking good. Okay, well, just listen to what Steve Presswood said about it. When I heard Don's lyrics, I told him, "Mate, I don't know if they're right for the music. <laughs> I've grown used to them now." Walker later said, "I don't think it was the story he was expecting. He wasn't overjoyed when he heard the lyrics. Can you, can you imagine?" He brought it in. <laughs> Steve Presswood said, "No, not right, mate. Sorry." <laughs> and they just threw it on the and. And then, and that's the thing. It's like sometimes I think these genius songwriters know when they've got something. Sometimes, sometimes they put out just rubbish, and they know it's not anything, and they do it. But, but I think the ones that they know that they've got to persist with, and they've got to get it over the line. I'm sure Lennon and McCartney did it all the time, and um, yeah. So, luckily for all of us, Don stuck to his guns and said, "Steve, come on." Yeah. And I, I I find it hard to believe that that Steve wrote the whole thing on a bass guitar because I mean the definitely the the start and the verses because <clears throat> it's just E A and B basically like the wild thing chords and then but then um, it's got the minor are uh, the G minor G sharp minor I think and uh, maybe there's a C sharp I don't know anyway. But um, I find it hard to believe that that could translate to a bass guitar to get that that as nuances, and I'm I'm certain that Don did that part of it. And to me, that's what yeah. makes the well. He must have had a melody line. Maybe. Oh yeah, and he must. Like have. he must have been playing the bass and going. Yeah, well, it's just two notes. Yeah, but maybe that cadence or whatever is what inspired Don to write those lyrics or whether he had those lyrics in his little, because he doesn't use a notebook, does he? He just has little folded up pieces of paper. Yeah, little, <laughs> little minty wrappers and stuff. Yeah, so maybe yeah. he delved in. I don't know, but whatever it is, it's it's magic, isn't it? It's mag- yeah, well, the, it's, the, it's a magic song. The, you, you don't you don't get that. No, once in again. a lifetime. It's a once in a lifetime. Yeah. We'll play thing. that We'll play that at the end, yeah, the whole thing. because I think it's their best song. You oh, gee. I don't know if I, it's I, their I, best, but it's certainly equal best with a few others that yeah, we're probably going to get to. We better get to this last album. We're fucking <laughs> rambling, yarning on. Okay, like a number pair one of, pair of old old moles. But that's what <laughs> that's what you do, though. That's what cold chisel makes you do. Oh God! I it, like I said right at the top of the show. How many people have I punished with cold chisel? Oh yeah, over the years, just like just <laughs> like right, breathing on them, getting and now in their we're <laughs> and now we're doing it now, except we're not breathing on them. And yeah. anyway, so number one, I remember sitting in a in a pub on the Gold Coast <laughs> with a heap of people that I barely knew, and put like feeding dollar coins into the jukebox and just <laughs> and doing everything I could to force them to listen to Cold Chisel. 
and and not short of restraining them, <laughs> I'd like and pushing their heads into the speakers, and I could t- <laughs> I knew they were getting pissed off with me, but I couldn't stop myself anyway. Yeah. Sorry, but yeah, number one obviously is uh, circus animals. Circus animals. So any album that opens with "You Got Nothing I Want" has got to be the best album. Well, we just talked about the perfect song. This is the perfect album. There is not an There's ounce not, of fat on this. No, thing. there's nothing. And uh, well, probably my favourite Cold Chisel song on this album is "No Good for You." Can you play that for a second? Your last margarita. So that song's never been on any of their greatest hits compilations or anything, and I can't for the life of me understand why. But that doesn't that show you the quality of a band's catalogue where that's not in their greatest hits? Come on! Well, it was never released as a single. I think they thought it was a bit too commercial and not representative of what they were all about. Well, as they're saying, um, the story behind this is they didn't want another commercial album because they'd already done that with East, and they'd tried it with East and everything, and I think it was Steve Presswich that was really pushing it. Like well, Don, 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 yeah, Don wanted this to sound nothing like East, and wanted it to yeah. be raw and um, and and more rock and and a bit more kind of obscure. Oh, not obscure. What's the word I'm looking for? A mm. little bit more left of center, I suppose. Yeah, but but as Mark Opitz has has been quoted to say, "Thank God for Steve Presswich." Yeah, yeah. yeah, we should get some little wristbands made up that say. <laughs> what, what would Steve Presswich do? Yeah. Like those what would Jesus do kind of things. But that's, that song is, I'll credit No Good For You as, um, as being the song that tipped me deep into Cold Chisel uh, after just being, like I said, I've already said I loved that Razor Songs compilation and I loved all of the singles and all that, but there was a turning point for me when it came to Cold Chisel and it was this song. And yeah. I'll tell you a little story. <laughs> it was a very weird circumstance, but I had... A few fellas I was knocking around with back in the day when I was like 17 and uh, worked worked at a pub when I was 17, which I'm not allowed to. Don't tell the police if you're listening. <laughs> but the owner or the, the, the owner's son and a couple of other fellas that worked there 
weren't particularly big music fans. You know the type. Yeah, I know the type. They, yeah, they've got two or three songs that they like and that's it. Exactly. Yeah. And we're at a party after work one night and this song came on. <laughs> like somebody just had a, a, a mixtape going before Spotify or anything like this, but this song came on and I'd, I'd heard this album obviously because it's got some massive hits on it, but this song wasn't familiar. But when this song came on, all these guys who don't like music all of a sudden like burst into life and started singing along with it. Oh. And I thought, what's going on here? Because I thought I was the big music man, you know? Like yeah. I thought I knew every song on earth. But these guys knew this song and I didn't and I took, I took ex- exception. But I immediately loved it because it's a, like you say, it should have been a massive radio hit. Um, but then that made me go home and get this album out and dig into it. Yeah. Because like I, I thought, well, if that's on there, then what else is on here? Because I'd kind of skipped over all of the, yeah. the deep cuts, well, as there they you say. Because I think I'm the same with this album. I think this was the first album that I actually got right into and listened to the whole thing. Yeah. And, um, yeah. What yeah. can you say about it? But as that's a, a, we should say that's a Mossy, that's an Ian Moss song. a Mossy song. song, yeah. So, um, now let's well, let's the, just yeah let's do that and then talk about the other one because what what's your take on Ian on Mossy yeah we haven't spoke I, we've left him till last I think he's the greatest he's one of the greatest guitarists of all time he's certainly well geez what do you say when you got Angus and Malcolm but no you, uh, yeah so when you read Guitar World magazine and they've got Eddie Van Halen on the cover six hundred times and they've got Angus and Malcolm probably as well you never see Mossy on any of those public publications so he's the most underrated guitarist of all time yeah even in Australia well he wasn't known overseas I suppose which is um, criminal yeah but that that's it's criminal. For the whole band not to be known overseas, but yeah, there's nothing he can't play. He can shred and he yeah. can tap and <laughs> he can play acoustic guitar. Like oh you know, yeah, like everyone holds up Tommy Emmanuel as like the kind of acoustic guy, but Mossy's acoustic shows that he does. Well, the best thing about him to me is he never plays what you don't need. No, and yeah. that's the mark of a great player. He will sit out if you yeah. That's Malcolm. Even Angus is like that. Angus doesn't play anything like he goes crazy, but. Yeah, but I, I just think he's criminally underrated, and I think he's the best. I was waiting for that word to come up, or that phrase, criminally underrated. <laughs> well, it applies for Mossy. It does, you know. God damn it, I love this bloke so much. Oh, when I met him, it was like, it, it, I was I was starstruck. I wouldn't be I wouldn't be in the event. You and our little brother have both met him, and I haven't. I, I wouldn't be able to meet him because I wouldn't be able to talk. I actually hung around with him for a bit, and I'm sure I pestered him, and I, I feel bad for the bloke, but I, <laughs> and it was real late. He was at this after-hours place here, and he was with um, Kerry Jacobson, who plays drums with him. Um, and Kerry Jacobson's a wonderful fella. Played with Dragon. Uh, he was Dragon's original guy, but a uh, wonderful fella, Kerry. And uh, they were just hanging out one night, and um, Mossy was pretty wounded. <laughs> I was going to say... He'd had a few, or I think he'd had a few anyway, but uh, yeah, very gracious, like he put up with me. Well, the closest I've ever come to Mossy is I do a weekly gig at the casino, as you know, in the high rollers room called the Pearl Room, <laughs> which is a tiny little stage in amongst um, gaming tables and poker machines, and if you're lucky on any given Tuesday night, you might have one person listen to one song, um, and I found out 
not long ago, about six months ago, that Mossy had done that same gig on a Tuesday night <laughs> as a solo artist. And <laughs> I, I, I still I, I can't get my head around who would ever book him there or why he ever took the gig. But one of the it was one of the waiters there that told me that he'd played there. And I looked it up and it's true. But he said that um, Mossy went out and rang his manager <laughs> in one of the breaks. He told this waiter that, that he'd gone out and said, what, what's going on? Why am I in this room? <laughs> anyway, I'm sure he got paid a lot more than I do, but um, very strange. But I'm sure he would have torn the ass out of it because he's just a consummate professional. But, of course, the other song on this album written by uh, Mr. Moss was Bow River. Oh, tour de Force. If ever there was a song that's a tour de force, it's this. This that that phrase gets brought up every <laughs> single. Honestly, when you read about this song, anything about this song, really, it it's says the first word tour that, de force. It's actually the first word that comes to mind with me because it is. It's I don't just, even know what it means. I don't know. It's uh, it just seems like it just shifts up gears the whole time, and it's like when you think it couldn't get any better, it just keeps going and going, and it's just. Well, this might be, depending Extraordinary. on what, yeah, depending on what day it is, this song is my favourite Cold Chisel song. Yeah, it's and of course, really Ian, Ian's from Alice Springs, born and raised until he moved down to Adelaide when I think he was seventeen. Um, yeah, well, this song's about a sheep station his brother worked at. That's right, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah, and Bow River isn't really a river; it's just a little creek. Yeah, um, but it's about going back home, and that like a bit of a theme, there's I suppose. Theme yeah. yeah, there's a yeah, and I think everyone can relate to this song because oh, was there anyone from country Australia, which pretty much most of us are, really. Well, we've we got can't, some roots to the country. We can't talk about it and not listen to it. Listen loud to the wind, babe.
There you go. If the Martians come down and they say, play me a perfect song. <laughs> I, was, I was only going to play the first minute of it, but once <laughs> no. you put it on, you can't stop it. You can't stop. It keeps ramping up and ramping up. And then when Barnsley <clears> comes in, <laughs> oh God, what do you say? What do you say about that? You can't believe how good that is. You can't. I, I've, I've listened to that song thousands of times. Yeah, me too. And then I'm just picking up stuff in it then. Uh. Like when you said, listen to Phil's bass part, and I was like... That ascending bass part in the... um, uh, Yeah, it's crazy. Steve plays on the ride cymbal in the first verse. I never knew that. Crazy good. Just crazy good. <laughs> everything about it, everything about it, there's no... You know how last week you were uh, ACDC, <laughs> how you said that you you just love blokes fucking going for it? <laughs> yeah. If that's not a band that's just not... fucking going for it, then <laughs> well, I... that's why, And that's why everyone oh. loves it, because they're just fucking going for it. <laughs> and, like, the first bass drum note, it's like Presswitch is going, right, fucking listen to this. <laughs> like, it's, it's aggressive as fuck, but it's not... Uh. It, it's like, it's, it's like righto... And it's like all of them are kind of like, right, I'm the fucking boss of this joint. And, oh, man. Except, like, Mossy doesn't even come in for the first couple of bars. He just lets Don do that. And yeah, then Mossy that, just um, comes in nice and tasteful with just like a nice oh. little chord. But yeah, then by the- yeah, but Don, Don's piano chords at the start there, it's like, right, I'm the fucking, <laughs> listen to this, you fucking idiots. You know, uh. it's just super... But how about that? That guitar solo is just. Oh. But you know what the weird thing about this song is? Is when they play it live, they've got that Dave Blight guy with them most of the time, the harmonica oh, player, yeah, and he and does he it. Hops up, and there's no guitar solo. Yeah, maybe. Very strange. Yeah, and if you're talking about like, but that's n- like groups of notes, like technical on a tech that guitar solo, like where did like where he's kind of playing over the bar line, and oh, just. He's just melting faces. It, yeah, it is. And it's, it's a like, very complex song too. There's yeah. a lot of chord changes and um, and modulations and yeah, stuff and that in there. Yeah, ascending bass line that comes up in the in the pre-chorus and oh, Whew, Jesus, it's just fuck. It's, yeah, well, it, it's just amazing. <laughs> I mean, that's just the that's the like the, the second song on it. Yeah, yeah on well, the album and you got nothing on what you've already you've already mentioned that that's a that's a diss track. Now we're talking diss tracks. Yeah. Side is not, but this is to yeah. Marty Schwartz. Um, and it's an absolute fucking punch in the face. First up, you got nothing I want. You got nothing. You, I don't need you. You crying eyes or something. Is that what he says? Yeah. I don't need stupid alibis. Bow River, Ball Terror, Forever Now, the first Steve Presswich album. And this is what Mark Opitz was saying uh, when he said, thank God for Steve Presswich. Because Steve wrote this one and When the War is Over on this album, which were the two massive hits that are still covered and overplayed to this day um yeah. like yeah and that oh man what do you say about this and well forever now is a perfect pop song yeah um and very strange like it's nothing like you'd ever hear on the radio these days but it's got that that massive chorus um that i don't know where they pulled that out from but some of jimmy's best ever singing yeah we- well that's what i was going to say about this whole album it's like and of course i think mossy kind of came to the front a little bit more I suppose with singing lead on a bit more stuff and Jimmy actually being the harmony guy which works just as like what band have you got where it's like okay well I'm not you know I'm not I'm not going to sing lead anymore I'm just going to sing the background background vocals and they're just as good as if he was singing lead like cuz Jimmy's background vocals are incredible on this album. Well, he's so good at getting out of the way Jimmy and that like a testament to all of them is that they never trod on each other's toes and it would have been so hard for Jimmy to let 
to let Mossy sing, I reckon. Oh, of course. Because they've all got massive egos, I think. Yeah, but then it's be. it's like Mossy was desperately unlucky to be in this band because <laughs> in any other band he would have been he would the have star. been re- regarded as one of the best singers Australia's ever had. And I suppose he had that later when he came out with uh, yeah, Matchbook and that his solo stuff and everything. I, mm. I suppose he just had to bide his time. Whether that's what he wanted, I think he was perfectly happy being the. Because out of all of them, I think he seems like he's the most level-headed. Mossy? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you he's know, the country like, boy. Yeah, yeah. he seems to be the most amiable and easy to get along with, I think. Yeah, and he's very shy if you see him in interviews. He's not, not so shy on stage. I, watched, I was watching a live clip of Tucker's daughter last night, and he does some big high leg kicks. <laughs> <laughs> you know, God bless you. Oh, he's God the bless best. Fucking God, God bless, bless Ian Moss. God bless Ian Moss and all of these blokes in gold jizzle. Uh, yeah, anyway, so forever now, stone cold classic. So you got the first three songs, you can't be beaten. But for me, what makes this album number one is the these next three songs, Taipan, Hound Dog and Wild Colonial yeah, Boy. They're kind of... It's kind of like ag- a suite. Yeah, and again, not, never on any greatest hits compilations. Never. But just... Again, like you just you you'd kill to write songs like like um how um Taipan. You just kill to write a song like that. It's, it's an very unbelievable evo- evocative, good song. isn't it? It's well this is the sound of Australia that I was talking about before. The, these three songs all reference Australian places, towns and places that every Australian's ever been like roadhouses. Yeah, better than anyone. Like even better than Paul Kelly could do it, in oh, my opinion. Most definitely. Just places and, and themes that Australians can all relate to, like tropical Queensland. Not every Australian's been to Queensland, of course, but they can all, like from the coast to the desert to the outback to the to the cities and all that sort of stuff, Taipan's just incredible. And it's not, I, as far as I can tell, it's not specifically about anything. It's like the Taipan's a bit of a... A metaphor, I suppose, that uh, if the heat don't get you, the Taipan will. will, And Taipan, for our international listeners, there's two types of Taipan. There's an inland and a uh, coastal Taipan. And the inland Taipan, I might be getting them mixed up, but one of the Taipans is the world's most deadly snake. Yeah. And they they uh the the coastal Taipan, I think, is the second deadliest one, and it's up in North Queensland where Don's from. Uh, and there's a line in there, uh, CSR is the sugarcane king, um, that the CSR plant is in air where Don grew up. Yeah, um, it's a brand of sugar over here. Yeah, it's an unbelievably good song. <laughs> I haven't got time to play. I wish we could just play yeah, every track yeah, and talk, talk over the top of yeah, it. It's another podcast in itself, just yeah. this album. Hound Dog's just about getting from place to place, hitchhiking, uh, about how you can... Uh, uh, if your head needs a bandage, try a roadhouse open sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great line. Oh, oh that's so what I wanted cool. to talk about. I forgot. In Forever Now, no other band's been able to do this as far as I can tell in the history of the world. Uh, is Rhyme, uh, the first two lines, are, uh, taking a seat at the bar, she don't talk to anyone. Plane leaving soon for or far, we she don't know anyone. Yeah, Rhyme. Rhyme's anyone with anyone. Yeah, but two completely different... It's the way Jimmy sings them. Yeah, right. I gotta play it now. Fucking hell. She don't talk to it. 
He makes it sound like it's two different words or yeah, something. Amazing. Uh, and uh, Phil, Phil again. Oh, crazy good. Do, 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 do. Well, I could do a whole. I could do a whole episode about Forever Now. I could do a whole episode about any one of these songs. Yeah, or the vocal arrangement of When the War Is Over. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Uh, Hound Dog, yeah, about about getting from place to place. Wild Colonial Boy is, has, over the years, I think, become my favourite song on this album, almost behind Bow River or, I don't know, it changes all the time. <laughs> yeah. but that, and isn't that what a great album does? It's like, oh, okay, this is my favourite song off it, and then it changes in four minutes. And Yeah. Uh, it used to be that song I would skip back oh, in the really? day. Yeah. I don't know why, because mm. it's got that... This is one of those albums I can listen to as a whole album, I... You no, know, you like never because skip it. because it's so cohesive and it's not disjointed at all. Because I think it, I, I reckon this might have been the first one that they kind of thought about the, you know, songs leading into each other and you know being a cohesive suite of songs. I mm, think maybe yeah, they're like the order of them in that you mean yeah, yeah. like yeah, and I suppose Wild Colonial Boy. This is back when albums had side one and side two. Like it's a bit of a. You know, the temptation would be to put a big hit or something, you know. But, yeah, I think it makes sense being where it is. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you flip it over and, yeah, yeah and it kind of continues on the story. And, yeah, I don't know. It's just genius, isn't it? It's just um, doesn't get any better, in my opinion. One of my favourite lyrics in that song, actually. Uh, I'm in love. I've got blazing lights, 10,000 miles of ocean. Yeah, so and you're I, not I good at remembering this stuff like yeah. I. I don't know why I love that lyric so much, but I do. Oh, and um, uh, and uh, when they uh, when they shot my brother dear and paid him off with lies, I fill my hand with a union card and aim between the eyes. Oh, oh Jesus, fuck! Because yeah, uh, and, that, and that's like you got in in the states. Like, there's heaps of people that can write songs about like. Uh, you know, like the civil wars and all that sort of stuff. Australia has never really had that kind of songwriting before these guys, had they? Not really, Unless no. it was like real whack kind of twee sort of stuff, you know, but like this is... Well, you know, what I've often thought about that is that Australia doesn't have the best place names to slot into songs. Like, yeah. you know, California rolls off the tongue really. Well, we've got places like Oodnadatta and <laughs> <Yeah>. Canoundra. And <laughs> but yeah. Don does it effortlessly. Oh, he does, yeah, he's the best. He, he's he the best. references Parramatta, Bathurst. Townsville, um, every place you can think of. I think there's a lyric for every state and uh, in Australia. Anyway, I'm getting off topic. Numbers four, after No Good For You, uh, is just uh, cracking. So apparently the directive from Don to Steve in this album was to use your tom-toms more, get more of a bit of a, a tribal thing going, which you can hear in Taipan, definitely. Also in Wild Colonial Boy to a certain extent, but yeah, this numbers, numbers fall four is all Tom Toms, yeah. But it's it's another seedy King's Cross song. Yeah, uh, what about um, the lyric is early hours Woolloomooloo, which is right next to, next to King's Cross, where all the illegal casinos used to yeah, be. Yeah, I was going to say it just brings up like opium <clears throat> dens and stuff in my mind, and yeah, illegal gambling. Well, joints that's exactly and, what it's about. The illegal yeah. casinos of back in the in the old days in in seedier Sydney. Yeah, which again you kind of attribute to America prohibition era and all of that. And no one really, no one ever really. Uh, conveyed Australian kind of under underworld underbelly better than um, these guys did. did they? Oh, never! And Don was in touch with all that stuff yeah, too. Yeah, because he lived there. 
he would have seen it out his front door. Yeah. All of these carrying on and would have had some sort of connection to it all. He would have known. He knew all the characters, that's for sure. And even up in Grafton, he knew all of the... the, the, He's got a solo song called Harry Was a Bad Bugger. Uh, um, Oh, He knew some shady types. But that that song's amazing. Uh, The rustle of the money and the click of the dice. Uh, When the War is Over, an Australian classic uh, now. I don't think it started out too hot, to be honest. Or maybe it did. Mm, I was too young. Another Steve Presswich song. Yeah, and a huge commercial hit for for a lot of different people in Australia. John Farnham's quite fond of singing it. Yeah, Little River Band. Or should I say over-singing it. Oh, yeah, that's the thing. It's like (laughs) when you hear people do it, like it's some big vocal, like... uh, display or something it's it's sing a song it's a song like the song it's one of the best songs ever written it um i don't know what it's about to be honest i don't i think it's i don't know we'd have to read up a bit more about it but um there there was there's been a couple of australian idol people who've had hits with it um it is another one where mossy sings it and then jimmy chimes in halfway through and just crushes it oh what do you say about it? It's just a perfect song. And another great guitar solo, but a very slow one. That's the other thing I was going to say about Mossy is next time you listen to a Cold Chisel song and you're singing along, you'll sing the solo, the oh, guitar yeah, solo, every single song. time. Yeah, I did it just then when um, <laughs> oh, I did it in, uh, what was the song you just put on then before? Um, oh, Bow River. It's a little harder one to sing because there's a... yeah. But and no, he, good for you, the solo in that. He also had a habit of playing solos right at the end of songs, like, yeah, like uh, outros. outros. Yeah, and they're some of the most familiar ones, like Forever Now is one and Choir Girl. Yeah. Excuse me? I wonder if that was intentional, that kind of thing, whether they thought of that or it just sort of happened. I think it's, a, we were talking about ACDC last week, whether it was intentional or not, but. Yeah, who knows? I don't know. What do you do? You get those five guys and then a guy like Mark Opitz in there and apparently they were doing mountains of cocaine <laughs> <laughs> on this album. So, and it, and it's, God, well, you hear it all the time, like cocaine albums and stuff and some of the greatest albums of all time were written while people were high on blow, but I don't know, I don't know if they were high or not blow. or whether it was just kind of getting them through the thing and... You know, because you imagine these guys working their asses off touring and playing shows and in the studio when they could, and it's quite a heady mixture, isn't it? But if it comes out of a, uh, the result that comes out is this. Is that how you say that? Heady. Heady? I thought it was heady. heady? A heady oh, mix. Maybe, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> how about the cover too? The what cover. a... Oh, Absolutely. yeah. That's, where was that shot? Was that in the desert somewhere or... It was shot at... Um, Lake Air. Lake Air. In the middle of Australia. It's a salt a salt lake that is only fills a, up like once every... Yeah. Is there a caravan or something? Or? Yeah. They towed that caravan out there. <laughs> um, to, to Don wanted the, uh, a cover photo that could be nowhere else but Australia. Yeah. And it's a, an a unbelievably good photo. Like the, com- the composition and the, how the, the salt flat cuts the picture in half with in the, half, the, the yeah. blue sky above it. And they're all just kind of standing around, and it looks so fucking hot. Hot. <laughs> well, this is 1982, I believe, and so the ozone layer probably intact then, so they wouldn't have been sunburnt like they would have been now. But well, they've got that shitty little awning hanging off yeah, the side. No, no one's standing under it. And the, yeah, and Jimmy's in his undies, I think. Yeah. On the, 
And they've got a little table with a fruit bowl. It's so it's so good. But there's um, but Don says that they um, rather than try and organise some somebody to to tow it home, they just left it there. Oh, so it's probably still out there somewhere in the middle. It's probably as iconic as the Midnight Oil um, uh, oh, diesel and dust diesel house and dust. Cover, house on the cover of that. Yeah, yeah. it's um such a, the the whole package is so good. Anyway, and last of all is Letter to Alan, which is a song that doesn't really um, get much attention at all. I think it, it's kind of like a, a hidden track in the days before hidden tracks. There's a big gap. Big gap, yeah, before it comes in. Yeah. yeah. And then there's a big gap between... There's a... Um, let's just play a little bit. When it's time for your reflection This song's written about Alan Dallow, who was a long-time roadie for the band, uh, who got in a truck smash on the Hume Highway, I think, with another one of the roadies, and they both died. And um, this song's written from Alan's perspective, as you can hear by the lyrics at the start of it there. There you go, I didn't know that. Yeah, and it's, it's fucking devastatingly sad when you know what it's about. Um, but then after that little quiet, reflective bit at the start with the piano, it it melts your face off. Yeah, it comes in full bore. And it's got probably Mossy's best solo ever at the end of it. He just fucking tears ass for about two minutes. <laughs> it's so <laughs> it's so good. Oh, um, yeah, if we go on any longer, we're just going to end up getting our getting our pants off. Yeah. <laughs> And I've got somewhere I've got to be. Yeah, it's probably a good time to wrap it up. <laughs> well, I could talk, like I say, yeah. uh, I said right at the top, I could I could punish people for for days about this band. Yeah, but and we hope that if you've made it this far and you've listened to the whole thing, then go out and punish your friends about it. Yeah, yeah, spread not? the word. They might, yeah, maybe they can get retro famous in overseas. Yeah, why not? They deserve it. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Anyway, thanks for listening to Oz Rock Rated again. We're going to be back again with it, and we we haven't even decided, haven't decided. what our next. We've done our two favourites first up. Yeah, um, keep an eye out. Yeah, for for uh, join us on Facebook. Join the discussion. Yeah, get in touch. We've with had us a lot here. of good positive feedback we, we already, have. haven't we? Yeah, we. My hairdresser listened to it. <laughs> <laughs> she discussed it with another client of hers. She said so. I find it offensive that you have a hairdresser. <laughs> Well, you man's got to get a haircut. Yeah, I suppose so. Anyway. All right. Until next time, thanks for listening and see ya. <laughs>